4: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on courts
5: 96FM. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Dee here, in for PJ for the next couple of weeks while he's on his holidays. Looks like he got the good weather for it. We're going to start off this morning with a couple of incidents that took place in the city overnight. Our reporter Fiona Corcoran joins me. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Deirdre. How are you? I'm not too <laughs> bad, Fiona. It was a busy evening for the guards
6: around the city last night. That's right, Deirdre. And this morning, two men are in Gardaí custody being questioned in connection with two different assaults that happened in the city. The first assault happened yesterday, um, just before four o'clock, in between three and four o'clock yesterday afternoon at Dublin Street, which is just at the bottom of Dublin Hill in Blackpool. And a man was um, assaulted in an incident there and he received serious injuries. Now, it's understood that he received an apparent stab wound to his torso. So, and emergency services in Gardaí were called to the scene and paramedics worked on the man at the scene and then he was rushed by ambulance to Cork University Hospital now he was due to undergo emergency surgery there uh, but his his injuries were described as serious but not life-threatening and Gardaí did launch an investigation they sealed off the area and they spoke to people in the area at the time and a 70-year-old man was arrested a short time later and he remains in Garda custody where he's been questioned this morning. Now, um, details of another assault emerged this morning. Um, this incident happened at Railway Lane, just off Brian Boru Street in the city, and it happened at around 20 past 10 last night, where a man in his 40s received non-life-threatening injuries in an assault. Now, the Gardaí didn't confirm details of that assault, but we understand that that man was um, beaten over the head with a crutch, and he sustained serious head injuries. And he is currently in Cork University Hospital, where he is receiving treatment for those injuries, and a man in his twenties has been arrested in relation to this, and he is currently being questioned by Garda, and investigations are ongoing in relation to this incident as well. And I suppose just for either of those assaults, if anybody has any information that they think might be relevant to the Garda investigation, they can contact the Garda at any Garda station or the Garda confidential line.
5: Okay, that Brian Brew Street incident, Fiona, that's not the first time that area, Brian Brew Street railway lane, has had a serious incident, is it? Um, I'm not sure Deirdre it's um, is it that, that is area just as you, as you come from um, the railway station and you turn down left past the leisure plex there's been a couple of sexual assaults uh, down on that railway as gonna, well
6: yeah mm. um, there was an incident c- towards the end of last year where there was a very serious sexual assault on um, a homeless lady I, I, I believe that a lot of people would congregate in that area for late night drinking sessions and also there'd be a lot of homeless people in and around that area um, and there have been calls for um, something to be done uh, you know either installing CCTV mm. or more guard the patrols in that area because as you say it is an area where there has been a number of serious assaults um, both um, physical Assaults and sexual assaults. Yeah. Um, so, I suppose it is something that maybe with this latest incident that can be looked at by the authorities now going forward. Yeah, I hope so. Fiona Corkin, thank you very much for that update. So, um, you. if you do have any information on either
5: of those incidents, you can contact the Guardian Confidential Line. That's a very interesting one because that's the third incident. I think Fiona's talking about that sexual assault. I believe there was another sexual assault there um, within the last couple of months. And there, there you have that man being beaten with a crutch. Um, and that area now. Now, of course is, is going to be home to a whole load of new housing developments and all the rest of it, so you you would imagine that it, there would be a focus on ensuring people's safety as they go, say, to and from the train station or even just, um, you know, people walk around the city late at night, you should be safe um, travelling around the city late at night in, in an area that is relatively busy, you would think um, Lots more in relation to um, the city streets and the city layout, I don't know if people have seen the echo yet, but if you haven't there's a very good um, summary of the new CMATS plan. Um, well, it's the Cork transportation plan. We've seen versions of it before, but city councillors yesterday were presented with this absolutely incredible vision for the Cork-Lewis and the um, new cycle infrastructure, new bus infrastructure, but the Lewis thing, I mean, and additional railway stations all the way um, between Cork and Mallow and some additional ones between Cork and Middleton Um, I mean it looked Absolutely incredible. Of course, where the money is going to come from, uh, in as we face into what David MacWilliams is calling the Pandishan, is a whole other question. But I'd love to hear from you if you if you have any thoughts on that plan. If you've seen it yet, or if indeed you're one of the city councillors listening who has been presented with it. Of course, everyone thinks it's a great plan. It's a beautiful plan. I mean, it looks amazing. It would make put Cork in the um, in the frame with every international city that has this kind of stuff from when they all had colonies and they had loads of money which we didn't have um, and it just looks incredible but obviously who's going to pay for it where's the money going to come from is, is a huge question because looking you know I saw the Cork event centre tweeting or the whoever runs that account for the Cork event centre it's kind of a satirical account saying oh I hope one of those stops is at the event centre so I can go to a gig um, with the obvious implication of is there ever going to be an event centre or a Lewis um, but you know we have three senior ministers in Cork if it's not going to happen now it probably is never going to happen so so is yeah, well worth well worth a look if you haven't seen it already. It is floating around online. Um now in a minute we had a couple of people messaging us yesterday in relation to um crowds in different places over the weekend, particularly uh West Cork. A lot of people saying they were down in, in um Barley Cove was a big flashpoint over the weekend. I gather um Gugon Barrow was really, really busy. Kinsale was exceptionally busy, people were saying like turn back, just don't even try going into Kinsale. But people said areas of the city centre were very busy as well. Electric had their outdoor space open um, for the first time in quite a while and it was apparently absolutely thronged. Someone messaged in yesterday to say it was absolutely thronged and Bishop Lucy Park was empty on the other hand so they were obviously customers of Electric. Um, I'll talk in a minute to Ernest Cantillon who runs Electric. They opened a little bit later than the other pubs um, that also serve food just to see what they could learn from other places opening earlier. Um, so we'll see how that's going for them in just a moment. If you have any thoughts on this or anything else 083 396 96, 96 is the number. Remember you can text or whatsapp
4: this is Courts Gold Imro award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan text or
7: whatsapp now 0833
4: 96 96 96. on Courts
5: 96 FM Ernest Cantillon good morning hi dear how's it going? not too bad at all so you're back open we are, yeah. Getting back. It's still a little bit rusty, but getting the hang of it. How's it going? What's the... How is it rusty?
8: It's good. Um, I just, I suppose, match fitness like anything else. Um, we... And you... Because of the socialists and crack, you can't probably have as many people in the kitchen as you need. Mm. And um, because of the regulations, the amount of bar food is through the roof because every table has to order bar food. Oh, right. So the... the, the, the you know, it's way easier to lash out, you know, two drinks than food. There's way more working and, and prep goods into food um, uh, so that um, I would say cut us in the half but just thankfully we're, we're busy enough um, and uh, so the amount the volume of food going out is, is high I suppose and for well the chefs are doing a great job, they've spent four months just cooking for themselves and now they're they're feeding lots of people so just getting up to, to speed that kind of crack
5: yeah. as
8: well as all the new kind of rules and cleaning and things you've got to,
1: to remember
5: is it of a massive amount of extra work and it's like that point about the food I I hadn't actually it hadn't occurred to me that you should produce a lot more food with a lot fewer people sure of course that presents challenges um, yeah. do you have to have extra people for the cleaning as well
8: um, you do the only thing is you, um, what you, 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 I suppose you bring people in earlier they stay later but also we're doing um, so electric previously would have been open 7 days a week from 10 till midnight so normally that's 90 something hours a week or whatever it is whereas now we're open just 4 evenings so um, uh, one, so I suppose, we've lots of time for deep cleaning around, you know, uh, the rest of the week. And um, you just get in the habit of just, you know, cleaning every table afterwards, uh, checking the toilets probably every every half an hour, that kind of stuff. So it just becomes a, a routine. And again, while our staff numbers will be down, it's still split across a large number of people. So you just kind of become second nature. It's like hand washing, you know, you just kind mm. of get the hang of it, you get used to the masks. Mm. Although in the in the heat, the masks and the masks are tough going in the heat.
5: Yeah, they are. Like, it's fine to wear one going in and out of a shop or whatever, but wearing one for a few hours is quite difficult. Uh, yeah. And you've all the staff wearing them, have you?
8: Yeah, we started with, we started with visors, just because I preferred the the communication with mm. them. Um, uh, and and um, kind of as a gang we decided, and, um, we tried them on and they found the visors more comfortable, but uh, there was two things happened one um, over a long period of time they got sick of the virus they fogged up they were comfortable on their far, they actually preferred masks mm. and as well um, Dr Nixon he, he had a very good um, he gave me a good scientific un, uh, explanation that I could understand um, he said like basically visors are, are made to protect your eyes you know like this yeah. isn't where well, they look the part they're not doing what you want them to do and um, so I went back to the staff that information I said okay said, we didn't know because I'll be honest I didn't know that because, yeah. you know, um, and because we were up later, we're kind of copying other places. Um, and I suppose even naively, I was saying what I thought worked, but I didn't have any, you know, medical yeah, of course. backup for that. Yeah, yeah and it's so, funny, so kind so of everyone mass, is just yeah. feeling
5: their way through it, aren't they?
8: Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I One big thing I think about the um, the mass of the visors is I've been in places that do and don't have them. Mm. And um it hasn't bothered me either way really, but certainly when you walk into the place and you see the staff wearing them, I think it sets that tone that, okay, you know, we're taking this seriously. Yeah. Um, it just, you, you definitely are a bit more subconsciously comfortable there, I think.
5: I think so, and I think it would give you more confidence maybe to know that they're cleaning the place adequately and stuff like that as well, if, um, if, if, as you say, you see that signal of it being taken seriously. In terms of customers then, obviously you've people coming in eating and drinking, so they're not masking up, of course.
8: No, um, so, but... Um, I, I suppose we're lucky, particularly in electric um, we had the room across the two floors to so space out tables um, and electric has more windows than walls, so mm. we, we uh, you know, just getting fresh air through the place isn't a problem, we're lucky the way that it's, it's just been like that, no, yeah. having all the windows open in the winter might be a different story, we need to figure <laughs> yeah. that out or anything to the roof? but look uh, who knows where we'll be um, in the winter, um, mm. and it's funny the outside area is an interesting one, so obviously from the uh, in our circulation point of view, it's, it's great to be able to eat outside and we've been had, had good luck with the weather. Mm. Our first our first few days putting it out and certainly um, I'm glad we didn't put out the first week because just, as you said, just trying to get up to speed and get comfortable with masks and to figure all these things out and also the volume of food um, that's involved in it. But the small things that... Uh, I, I did kind of chase a Facebook video on this, just things we wouldn't have thought of like... Um, people who use the park use our toilets a lot mm. by me we do well lot of the toilets you know or do well lot of the parks they say yeah. and it's just kind of you know um, live and live and that kind of crack but it, the contact tracing thing has thrown a spanner in the works oh of course um, so I find myself you know having one of those signs the window saying uh, toilets are for customers only and the kind of signs that I hate you know yeah. that kind of crack um, so there's there's. I know it's a small thing but there are these kind of
5: trade off logistical just, things yeah yeah,
8: mm. um, and I, I, you know, I, I think most people when they see the sign, they think she's not a bit small-minded. You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe we're too much in, but there's just things like that 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 wouldn't sit right with you but they're just straight up what you make. Yeah, it's,
5: do you know something it's a thing that it always strikes me about a business that those signs really set the tone um, there's a yeah. business not a million miles from where I live where they have about and at, at, in normal times now, nothing to do with coronavirus there's about seven signs before you go in the door warning you about different things <laughs> like, yeah. don't bring ice cream in here from somewhere else don't bring this only food on the premises toilets for customers only and literally like I'd have been going there with no intention of doing any of the uh, above things but it would actually totally put me off like to you as a as a business owner that sense of welcoming people um like obviously that's something like you're yeah that's what yeah. you're supposed to be doing yeah like you're conscious of that and has the coronavirus really changed that
8: and um, you know what I, I don't think it has i was nervous that it would have um and, and two things one we made a decision not to get too space suits you know like mm. in the scene in ET so while wearing masks i think it's still it's a relatively normal Environment, um, but also, I think people were just so glad to get out. Um, you know, they went into in the middle, and, and I think that when people are, if people are excited about going out, that's half the battle. You know, somebody wants to be there and that feel good. It's still a novelty going out. I think people are going to be out less often for lots of reasons, so I think they're going to enjoy it more, which mm-hmm. makes our job way easier. You know, um, when uh, when, you know, when you're looking forward to an occasion, you kind of have in your head that you have a good time before you even get there, uh, and there is, um. There's been a lovely atmosphere, to be honest with you. I thought it would be kind of tense, and I was worried about it, but it's yeah. not that way at all. No, look, the weather helps. Yeah. Summer, I think is always a jollier time. Um, I, I I hadn't, um, uh, trying to keep up with, we're, uh, in a good way, we're overwhelmed with um, phone calls and messages and Instagram, because before, you know, less than half people or quarter people are in Soberlain. 10% people would book, whereas now everything's all bookings driven.
9: Yeah. yeah,
8: So, um so while well, I'm probably spending mo- mo- more time than ever on social media, messenger and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I, I'm not up to date on um, on general stuff. So it was interesting to hear you, what you're saying about um, the parks being been busy. And like the park mm-hmm. electric was busy, particularly on Saturday. So we, it's funny we, um, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, previously we wouldn't have been adverse to having people having a beer on the grass, yeah. you know, a beer that came from us or whatever. So. It's a bit funny this time because with the contact tracing um, and no service at the bar, so we we came across. It's actually um, there's a there's a Cork app called there's a few of them out there. There's one called Murphy. Mm. There's no Excuse. So you need to have a table um, to order anything outside. You can't come to the bar. There's right. a, a QR code and you scan, and it brings up the menu. So you have to order food before you can order a drink. Okay. And um well, it it, it explains it, and um, it means that people. So you have to have a table to. to put in the order, you have to order food before you order a drink. It automatically starts the time so people can see how long they've been there. Um, they've t- paid and can reorder another drink after their food. Um, so it's never need, with the exception to use the toilets. there's never need for them to come in. If they do want to come in, we have their details um, through the app mm. so contact tracing. So there's, there's things like that that have made life way easier. Um, uh, and um, But it also means that um, I suppose when the park looks crazy, we, I, and I, I, I'm wary of duty of care to our staff and our customers. Um, So I know, um, okay, we have about 60 outside seats. Um, uh, I I think we have 15 tables and an average of four chairs on each. And that's kind of our lot then. And you can't there's yeah. no way to get a, a drink or food if you're not at if one you're
5: of not table at a table. Yeah. yeah. Well, that I mean, um, that makes sense because you, you're yeah. accountable now for, for all that contact tracing and that's a whole other job of work, really. Actually, in that in that um, um, th- thread, a couple of people are, are ringing in with questions. Ernest, a listener wants sure. to know are you doing a click and collect keg business? What
8: happened there is the breweries kindly um, took back kegs um, that went out of the day who were closed and gave us new ones. So um, we would leave them outside to be collected. Um, but we could, there was a mix of the days so the kegs were out a couple of days longer than they usually would have been. Now, they were um, out-of-date kegs, but guys... Um, Did people take them? Took them, yeah. So they took <laughs> into one of our wheelie bins, put two kegs in. You know, it's, it's a fair job to get into the kegs. I don't it know is, if they had yeah. any luck with it. Um, but uh, the guys gave me a call and they said, we have two kegs down the lane across the way in the wheelie bin and we have a feeling we know what happened. So we looked back and found on the cameras and look fair play to the guys it was, it was uh, enterprising absolutely not, uh, and
5: there's no students around so they can't be blamed <laughs> no I, I,
8: I the definitely weren't students anyway they were a bit older maybe we should have been a wiser for them oh I know god it, it, it so is being, not a um,
5: click and collect be- keg business no. in the sense that this listener is asking <laughs> no look if I thought there was a market for it look yeah, I know that um, a couple of the other pubs have been doing, I um, can't remember which pub it was, but I know somebody, was it was the Old Oak, are, were doing a, a pint delivery, so I think you had yeah, order like half a, a, a keg or something. Yeah, So, I, so but you are not doing that. Um, somebody else wants to know, if you give your name and number for contact tracing in a premises like Electric, do you have to keep giving details if you return, or do they keep them on the list? It can be time consuming, just wondering. Um, it, just, it wouldn't be that time consuming. but um it's
8: just a name and phone number.
5: Yeah. Uh, that's it. So you don't and, have to give your most, blood type or yeah. your first born child no. or anything like that. Okay, good. But most
8: you'd have to give most of them when you book online anyway. You know, like yeah so
5: their, yeah. yeah, or you'd have to set up an account even some places. Um, so yeah so it's only your name and your number, that's fine. Um, the, a caller says the toilets for customers only signs are illegal. If someone with a medical problem asks and gets refused and then has an accident, the business will be in trouble. Yeah, of course that's a, a, a law that makes sense in normal times, but in these times, I suppose you'd have to take somebody's details if, the, if they were really stuck. Oh, I
8: think if, yeah. somebody was, if somebody asked me the toilet, I don't think we've turned anyone away it just means that you have to uh, take your number and Look, as silly as it is, it's still a, you know, I think for me anyway, I'd be embarrassed going to place, here's my name and number, to <laughs> die, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. it. And I know we're all mature adults and it's a pub we shouldn't be, but I'd still be a bit sheepish
5: about it. We mm. so just don't want to put somebody on the spot Of course, something. yeah. And of course if yeah. we had public toilets in the city that would probably change that problem that hugely would. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They'd yeah. be they'd be useful. Um there was something else there now, and I think the other question has gone. Um the no, it's gone out of my head. So you are your backup. oh yeah, the um when people are booking, um are you taking deposit? We sure are. So
8: it's um it's ten euros per person now. If you have a group of six, I think we, we take a deposit of 20 or 30 or something like that. You don't mm. expect, you know, because the idea is that when they pay the bill, it will come off the the person's bill. But you don't, yeah. want, the, you don't want the one person who decides to book, you know, for five other friends being cut for
9: 60
5: mm. quid.
8: Um, we'll refund it if you ring us an hour, half an hour before you come. Um, we do a full or refund. Or even that out.
5: much notice? Yeah, I just because it's, for
8: us if somebody's coming at 7 like we keep that tape at 8 or past 8 mm. you know because people who can late and whatever else um, delayed so um, if, if you just let us know we're delighted um, and it has um, I felt funny on it we, we've done it for the last two Christmases for bigger groups mm. and it's never really a popular move and I suppose two things have changed one the safety of numbers everyone is doing it and two, on our first weekend open, we would only two bookings in the restaurant that didn't pay deposits. Um, and said, yeah, I don't have my card with me and I'll pay it and I'll ring it tomorrow whatever and, and kept it off and didn't show up. They were the only two groups who didn't show up. Yeah. So I just said, okay.
5: There you t- go. T- that t- t- tells t- you what you need to know, doesn't it?
8: Yeah. Well, it's just when you've left tables, it, it hurts that much more, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, well of course you know, it does you, I mean you're missing out on a couple of hundred quid yeah. that,
5: that you could have, have earned if you'd filled that table in time um, and it. do you think because I, I know there's been a reluctance to bring that in places but as you say the safety of numbers now if everyone is doing it, it's not a big deal
8: yeah I, I th- and I think that um, it's uh, it, especially with the food rules it's pretty much, if it's 9 euro food, I don't know if we have any drinks in the menu for a euro. Okay, if we have a glass of water, but it's pretty much impossible to come to Electric and spend less than 10 euros. Yeah. And whether that's right or wrong, that's the way it is with the food rule at the moment. So, yeah, sure,
5: Your meal yeah. has to be 9 euro. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, as you and say, a glass of tap give, water. Yeah. Yeah.
8: yeah. <laughs> if we're going to give the, um, and if we're going to refund it up till, I kind of think somebody has nothing to lose, you
5: mm-hmm. know? But, yeah.
8: yeah. Yeah. But no, I get, there's, funnily enough, you do get kickback who people, for people who have been long term customers. Mm. But it can be hard to tell that over the phone sometimes and also um, the beauty of everybody paying it is that when it, people come up to pay, a big pay at the moment is limiting interactions. So, yeah. you know, we put you at your table, we try and think of everything that you'll need, you place your orders. So when you're coming up to pay, we know we just take 10 euros off everybody's bill. Um, and mm. it's straightforward whereas some people have paid and some people haven't yeah. you have this did you pay deposit check and it just is an extra interaction that when you're trying to come it down you don't,
5: you don't need yeah okay Ernest yeah. best of luck with it and um, thanks, Dean. hopefully, hopefully things will continue to go smoothly thank you and uh, thanks to everybody who sent in questions for Ernest on that yeah look there's, it, this stuff is complicated none of the, the none of the rules make total sense when you apply them to previous rules that we've had say like that toilets um, for customers only sign he's a very legitimate reason for putting the sign up but obviously there's exceptions if you're really stuck but you do just have to give your details for contact tracing that's because he is obliged now to do that and um it's just all the, I'm not going to say the phrase, but uh, it's just um, the way things are going. Um, Morris says on WhatsApp, oh, in relation to the Cork Metropolitan Area Plan, we're waiting four years for a proposed upgrade to the entrance to St. Mary's Primary Care Centre here in Bakers Road. I would even hazard a guess to say the length of time that new transport project would take. But what I would say is that I'm going to wake up from my dream now. It will never happen. Oh Morris, yeah I used to be an optimist but I'm <laughs> kind of with you on this I, I I do think the one thing you'd say about it is that the the your upgrade is probably down to the city council and funding being released and funding rounds and planning and all that kind of stuff this plan I think is under the National Transport Authority or whatever it's called now Transport Infrastructure Ireland um, and they have a bit more pulling power in terms of things that they can do to make, make stuff happen having said that, look how long it took Dublin to get Lewis. So, you know, Dublin has it, but it did take it. It wasn't a quick process there either. Um, Now, masks... I was just in the coffee shop this morning getting my cup of coffee as I always do every morning and um, there, me and one other person were wearing masks. Now you're not obliged to wear a mask in a coffee shop but you are now obliged to wear them on public transport and in shops. I tweeted about this uh, this morning and somebody came back to me to say he was on uh, the 220 and um, last night and there was nobody on it, one person out of five, including the driver, um, wearing a mask. Um, And he was a bit shocked at that and so obviously that mandatory thing is not getting through to people. William O'Brien from Sparrow and McCurtain Street will talk to me about that in a moment. Fergal tells me you are obliged to wear it if it's a takeaway. Sit down customers are not obliged. Fergal, I had a look at the EN- NEFET rules or the NEFET guidance on the website this morning and all it says is retail. It actually doesn't say... Um, anything about takeaways because uh, that was my impression as well I thought any premises that you were going into um, that you were going into and coming out of you were supposed to wear them even if it wasn't mandatory but it doesn't specify anything about takeaways so maybe if you can find me a link on that I don't know um, but it is a bit confusing but Willie maintains that people are not wearing them into SPAR and um, so we'll talk to him about that in a moment. And I'd love to know, are you wearing it? Do you have a problem wearing it? Is it a question of just working it into your routine? I think that's a bit of it for some people. That just getting organised for it is a bit of work. Um, let me know. 0833 96 96 96. Face coverings are now required in public transport Face coverings will also be required in shops and shopping centres Uh, Regulations with details on enforcement are in the process of being drafted This um, is on the government.ie website and it was last updated on the 20th of July which is yesterday. So the regulations are in the process of being drafted. Wearing a cloth face covering is also recommended in situations where it is difficult to practice social distancing, for example in shops Wearing of cloth face coverings may help prevent people who do not know they have the virus from spreading it to others um, so it's so face coverings are required on public transport So required now it doesn't say mandatory it doesn't say compulsory but it says required um, it's recommended in the following so it's required on public transport so that's a definite wearing of face coverings is recommended in the following circumstances when staying two metres apart from people is difficult for example in shops or shopping centres by people visiting the homes of those who are cocooning and by people who are being visited in their homes by those who are cocooning so shop for example in shops or shopping centers is recommended um so that's Willie O'Brien from Spar is on the line Willie was that Hi, your George understanding how are, you? how are you I'm sorry for the delay there Hosey you're
10: playing there and he's one of my favourite musicians so I was very happy to hear so well, <laughs> um,
5: that guidance is very wishy-washy still isn't it
10: yes it is it is definitely wishy-washy and I think people how people are responding is in the sense wishy-washy also because um, for what we have found is maybe 20 stroke 30% of people are aware of coming in they're conscious of it they're aware of it but um, that, that otherwise, um, you know, back goes on as normal. I'm afraid that's the way it is. Mm. You know, yeah. and I think in some way, it someone said to me yesterday, it'll probably be self-governing, that people maybe with time will say, where's your mask, where's your mask? It's not necessarily, because in the sense, we're not police. You know, we're there to do a job. And if we stopped everyone crossing the door yesterday, that didn't come in, we must close the door yeah, simple as that.
5: yeah. it's like it's very difficult for people working in um in retail or in any frontline job where you're dealing with a lot of members of the public. like we saw yesterday there was an outbreak on the construction site in Dublin there yeah. was an outbreak on in a fast food restaurant I think in Kildare um, like there are these outbreaks going to happen and this, these are the exact situations they're going to happen in where for example say Ernest was talking about say kitchen staff and you know in a busy kitchen or in your deli for example it's pretty much impossible for people oh, yeah, to yes, to get two well
10: actually in, in fairness to my own people I have to say one thing about them um, they've been very particular about who goes in behind the deli and who goes out if mm-hmm. you know what I mean um, just the same team there the whole time that's it. Yeah, and, so they're keep organized. It simple, keep it simple, keep it straight, and you know what? It works very, very well because they know each other, they trust each other, um, and and it actually works well. It works yeah. fine, and and they know each other's lifestyle. If you know what I mean, um, they they live kind of, you know. From, they live regular lifestyles, therefore, they know what each other is doing.
5: And They're they not out at house parties trying to keep oh, each no, other comfortable. No, no, no,
10: Wait until COVID is over for that.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's funny because I think any break to routine, like I know, even in here, um, you know, in our normal circumstances with PJ on air, we yeah. all have our own spot that we're in in the building and we yeah. don't move out of there. But of course, now I'm on air, so everyone is moving around and it's chaos. And now it's that's chaos at two thought, metres it? distance. <laughs> that's, it's like that all the time when I'm on air, really. Something <laughs> breaks. There's an ad break in the middle of the weather. That's how it goes. Um, but you know any little change to the routine I think and yes. people are thrown um, are, yeah. and it just means that we all have to kind of be very uh, adaptable and I think with the masks some people I agree with you, and just you know, not some people are extra enough.
10: sensitive as well yeah. um, I had a funny incident the other day because um, there's a move here uh, on the streets to, kind of to try and help businesses get back in, into operation to have um, some seating on the street because you know the, the, the businesses inside are not big enough to accommodate the crowd so therefore yeah. we extend the business by putting seating on the street. And that kind of thing, and even though it's illegal, I'm my two hands up here saying it straight out. But,
5: but haven't uh, the council kind of given a break on that at the
10: uh, moment? Well, they have. It's not official, but, but mm. in a sense, they have, and I have a seat outside myself, even though it's, it's all not all, official. Yeah. But anyway, I'll tell you the straight up. And uh, it's worked exceptionally well. And um, <laughs> the problem with the seating was that we had somebody sitting in the seats at the, um, there on Friday last, and we have a little lip on the footpath. I don't know if you know the footpath here, yeah. down here, but there's a small bit of lip. It's the one place on the street where there's a bit of lip on the footpath, and the chap sat down there talking to his two buddies sitting on the seats outside the, outside the the shop um, door, and a woman came in and she came out to me. She ate the face off me over oh, She wasn't one to be happy about it. And I said, mm. Well, I can't police the streets the, the, um, the streets, and what people do. And she wasn't happy with my attitude either. But anyway, what can I do? Literally, she wasn't gone in 20 seconds. Another woman came in and she touched, she tapped the um, perspex and she said to me, Well done. She says, I like it. I like the seating outside. So, like, there's no winning. You yeah. know, people are just sensitive at this time yeah. uh, towards the whole situation. Um, but in relation to the masks it is a bit wishy-washy um, you see it's like it's law but it's not law yeah. if that makes sense yeah. and actually just I heard you speaking there it was, um, we were talking about Morris's comment there earlier on mm. uh, on the buses I was in the bus there on Sunday night and I'd, there was about maybe seven or eight people on the bus and I'd say three people yeah three people wouldn't wear yeah. masks um, and wear at this masks. stage
5: now it's pretty established that you're supposed to wear a mask on public transport
10: it, like it is and do, what do you know what happened we on Sunday I was actually out kayaking on Sunday and I got very tired
5: don't need a mask on the kayak
11: anyway no no Oh, no no I was finding the kayak
10: but trying to go home was the problem <laughs> but would you believe it I actually had a handkerchief in my, in my pocket and I was I had a handkerchief in my pocket I got a brainwave and I stuck the corners of the handkerchief into my ears
9: well, there <laughs> you I, got go. I got the bus home <laughs> What
5: did you do with the kayak?
10: Well, no, the, bus, the, the kayak was in my friend's house Oh
9: right so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I
5: said like, hardly walk onto Just the getting bus getting home the, was
10: the, problem. My was the problem. I was wrecked after it because of the lovely bright sunny day and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was tired <laughs>
5: <laughs> but that's Hello. it. Like it's it does. It's not rocket science. Like no, you not, had something. If people have a scarf, or even like they're and not perfect, but they're better than nothing.
10: I had heard last week that was it. Um, a chips or whatever were the most popular form of of um, of, of a, a face mask.
9: There you go. Your trendsetter.
10: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to set the trend at work. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so Willie, you'd be asking customers to please just put them on if, if they have
10: to. Yes, them. I, I guess it's, it's it's almost like osmosis. With time, it will happen. Mm. You know, it will happen. It's going to filter through because people will say. Where is your mask? Or people, you know, be, it'll be almost self-regulating in a yep. sense, um, you know, because like even even the, the men in the bus wasn't imposing it because we came on that had no um, that had no, no 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 mask on. Yeah, and the bus uh,
5: drivers have said that they're not there no. to enforce it.
10: And, and we're in the same situation because
5: mm-hmm. I went in yesterday
10: morning now and people were asking me to know, you know, what what, what were we supposed to do? And. You know, in a sense, I wasn't 100% sure myself, and yet it's my job to know if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I had to go and find out, and I and B. And I discovered that that that, that um, while it is, in a sense, the the recommended idea, at the same time, it's not it's not official, it's not law, mm. and and um, so the staff are going to should they wear them or not. So what we did is that we wore them just to kind of set the, set the the pace in a sense. Yeah. Majority wore them. Um, Now, people behind Perspex don't have to wear them. Yeah. And um, people have breathing issues and that kind of stuff. Mm. And the Perspex
5: is a great
10: idea, I think. It is. And you know, I think actually it's there to stay.
5: Yeah, you were saying that the last time. actually. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
10: definitely. I think it's there to stay. And I think, you know what? It should have been there years ago. Yeah, you know, it re- yeah. I actually think it should have been there years ago. And actually, it's funny, even though it's only a piece of plastic, um, I heard one of the people I was working with uh, saying that they actually feel safer because of it.
5: Mm, I'd say so. I can, I can, I I can really see why. Yeah. yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely. I mean, I noticed during, and I think I've said this before as well. But during the lockdown, when the streets were very quiet mm-hmm. um, and there was only kind of a certain element out and about, um, largely who who might have um, otherwise been kind of invisible, because there's usually so many other people there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did feel. That some of the shop workers are a bit like sitting ducks and I was glad to see Persex there
10: oh yeah um, you no, know, I agree with you. Hard. I'm happy about it myself and you know one thing I've noticed now this is going to be maybe going off the subject a small little bit who've got very cheeky are the birds yeah <laughs>
5: Yeah, Which I noticed
10: I that, know that Yeah, it's because of the
9: I lack crows. of
5: traffic. I swear to God, that the cheekiest clothes in Cork. Yeah. <laughs> Hang around here. I did. The first week of the lockdown, really, I saw up here, you know, of course, where we are up here in Wellington Road yes, is course, yeah. always yeah. choked up with traffic in the mornings. I mean, it's a nightmare. Is I go it? out for a cup of coffee at about a quarter to nine, normally cutting it very fine, of course. And um, like there's days I can't even ah. can get out the front door of 96 FM because there's a four by four parked up against it. Yes. Um And That's it's right. always absolutely mental out there. At at kind of nine o'clock and three o'clock, and um, there was a crow and a magpie fighting over a piece of bread in the middle of the road. They're and normally set, there would be four by fours everywhere. They're I was only like, Oh, god, short of talking to you. They're <laughs>
10: unbelievable,
5: to go. <laughs> you know, crows remember you though. I swear to God they They do they remember faces
10: some people um, maybe might drop say maybe packaging say from maybe um, you know a roll or something like that Mm. open the door and they can only get it and I'd be kind of shooing them away and I swear to God to them running away not the crow well you (laughs) can't be nice
5: to the crows now because there was a study done in Harvard a few years ago that they remember people who were mean to them
10: that's
5: the case I'm in trouble well thanks a million we'll talk to you again soon All right. Um, I'm not messing about that study that's a real study that was done in Harvard a few years ago about people who were um, like throwing things at crows or whatever so they got people to sort of throw pebbles at them or to give them food and they remembered who did what and like basically them and their brothers and sisters my mother used to always say if you killed a spider that his brothers and sisters will come after you well the crows brothers and sisters will come after you if you are mean to them like they will sit all of them and menace you on your back Fence if you throw things at them. So um, they do remember faces. Councillor John Mara says, in with regard to the furniture licences the council have waived the fees for furniture licences but businesses still have to apply for the actual licence well there you go Willie, hope you're still listening um, I've loads of comments in about masks oh and I will get to them in just a minute but Fergal reminds me, little in Ireland is 20 years old today Wow. That does make me feel old, Fergal. It does because I remember like when they came and it was like this world of exotic things. Do you remember before that you could only buy like chorizo and salami and really pass shops? We used to always buy it when we were on holidays abroad and it would be like the most exotic thing. And then you could just walk into Lidl and buy it for like 20 cents. And, um, you know, the first time the dads of Ireland ever entered a shop willingly because they would pass all the... Like spuds and the vegetables and whatever to go to um, find a hedge clippers or something in the middle. Like it was their first, their first time um, actually. You know, enjoying shopping. I think uh, he's. Katie is laughing at me, saying, she, "Katie's only a young one. Katie, you're only as old as little in Ireland." <laughs> She's like, "Oh my God, there was no chorizo. Well, there was, but only like Marks and Spencers, and she, nobody could afford to go there. So, uh, like, it did exist, but I think I had only had it once or something before Little came. So Little came, and we all ate uh, cured meats every day, uh, like foreigners for our breakfast, and it was amazing. Um So yeah, I mean, I personally am very. God, 20 years old. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, so, Katie literally doesn't remember the world before little and Aldi. God, the, there you go. The, life was very much more bland, Katie. That's all I'll say. Um, loads of comments in on the mass. I'll come back to them in a moment. And I'm going to talk to Kate O'Callaghan, who um, has a very interesting situation that people might relate to. If you have had cancer previously and it has led to you not being um, able to avail of mortgage options, of life insurance, um, of other things like that listen in you might be able to help Kate out because this situation is really really unfair um 033969696 is the text or WhatsApp
4: This is Courts Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call
7: us now 1850
4: 715 on Courts 96 FM
5: Now you might have heard Kate O'Gallaghan speaking to PJ a couple of weeks ago in relation to schools returning um, but she's on about something totally different today she is talking about the cancer that she suffered from a number of years ago um, she says she still. I, she, this is a post she wrote on Facebook I still hugely struggle to accept cancer as part of my life and I'm in no way grateful that it happened to me. As I have said previously I have nothing good to say about cancer it is a disease I try to move on from but today I was refused mortgage protection from Irish life because of a serious underlying condition. I am almost two years clear and have routine three month checkups which have all come back clear since September 2018. Hodgkin's lymphoma is not an underlying condition, it was an illness that I had and am now clear of. It is the least likely cancer to return. Its survival rate is at 86%, which is much higher than most other cancers. Apparently the people on the board are medical professionals but they didn't even give me the option of submitting a histology report from my GP. There was also no option for me to pay a loaded premium, which I was willing to do, even though I shouldn't have to. I would also like to note that I have salary protection with Corn Market and have done since I first started my first permanent teaching job in 2008. Corn Market are a broker for Irish Life and I will definitely be changing that after today I would like to categorically state that the bank and their mortgage advisor have been nothing but fair to me I also want to acknowledge the customer service representative who was nothing but polite and compassionate to me it's the underwriters at Irish Life are the reason I can't get mortgage protection for a house I have agreed a sale on our house at home has gone sale. Agreed, and I've put down a deposit on another house. My mortgage is approved. My whole life is in the hands of these professionals. I don't have a year to wait for you to reassess my situation. This is my life and the lives of so many others. How is it not discrimination? Just like people don't have a choice in the colour of their skin, we also don't have a choice in our illnesses. Cancer has taken enough from me. And she dedicated the piece to Kieran O'Connor, who of course passed away sadly uh, last week. Kate, that's an awful situation to be in. Have they just point blank refused to deal with you?
3: Hi, Georgia. Uh, thanks for, for having me on. Um, yeah, well yes, I've gone to so many different brokers who have all been really lovely and, you know, understanding. They just won't, so they're saying oh, we're postponing it for a year. But I don't have a year to wait and it's, it's not just me, it's the way they're using COVID for so many you know, as an excuse for so many other things. Mm. Like, I mean, we've heard the horror stories of people on COVID payments and all of that and you know, Irish Life are saying it's not because of COVID, but it is because everyone else has come back. So, five underwriters came back yesterday with the same postponement. I mean, I have offered to pay a loaded premium. They won't even engage with that. I've offered to put in a waiver to say the bank can take the house back if, if I die. Um, I just don't know what to do because our, our home house has gone. It's our family home sale agreed. And um, just, I, I suppose I'm just looking if anybody knows something that can help me but like I said cancer has taken enough from me and I suppose I'm not one of these people maybe I wish I was who you know it changed my life and it's changed my perspective because it hasn't you know I Mm -hmm. had my values and my priorities right before it I didn't need cancer to tell me that and just to use it and to be so I suppose clinical about it and then to tell you they are empathizing with you but how can they you know there's nothing we can do of course there's something they can do they just won't so just for cancer survivors everywhere it's, um, it's it's infuriating
5: really I suppose Yeah, it is. And there must be other people in that situation, Kate, because um, as you say, there's a very high survival rate from the type of cancer that you had. So there's 86% of people who had Hodgkin's lymphoma out there living their lives and doing things and presumably not being stopped in their tracks. Have you approached other um, insurers? I've
3: gone to all the brokers, so yesterday, so there's Nick McGowan in Lion.ie, who a lot of people recommended, yeah. and he went to five different underwriters, now I have someone else working on it too, and I've gotten onto CarMarket. I've sent a letter or an email to our local TD, Angus Moynihan, I'm doing everything I can, like I don't want to be going to the media, but I just feel I have to, not just for me, but for cancer survivors you know everywhere it's distressing enough going through a disease and just when you say it, it's actually when i looked it up again on cancer.net it's 87% survival rate yeah. and if it's caught in the early stages and mine was so if it's caught in earlier limited it's stage 2a where i was at there's a 92% survival rate so while i've been you know, told back as, oh, it's the other 8% to the other 14%. Yeah. And you have doctors reassuring you that the recurrence is very low as long as you keep up your checkup and you have someone else saying how high the recurrence is. So it's it's brought back horrible memories from two years ago as well yeah. over the last few days, you know. Um, it's just so, like so my mortgage is approved. I've saved for years to get to the point where I actually had a deposit and, you know, I'm it, I'm doing it on my own. And I've gone sale agreed and now I can't, there's nothing I can do. Like our house at home is, you know, and I know like I'll have to probably, if this doesn't go through rent for a year, but I've done that for years, years, and I don't Mm. want to do it again because that's my deposit. God, that's 10 grand, my deposit's then gone. I just, surely someone can do something. And how is it not discrimination? There's nine grounds for discrimination in Ireland. How isn't an illness one of them when you have absolutely no choice in contracting it? (sighs)
5: Hmm. <sighs> Yeah, it's very um, it's very unfair. Now, Lion.E was where we were going to send you as well because they had yeah. been recommended. Um, we, yeah. we have a colleague here who in a past life, sold life insurance, so he knows these things, yeah. and that's where he would have sent you to. Now, yeah. I know from personal experience, Kate, of of trying to get a mortgage, that sometimes it takes somebody who really will fight for you internally in a company. Um, yeah. I know to get our own mortgage, our, our um, bank had to go to five different underwriters in Germany because we were yeah. such a huge risk um, having made every mortgage payment on our previous house and looking for a very tiny amount extra. So yeah. I actually, while it's not the same situation, um, I I know exactly how frustrating it is to be refused when you can't see any reason for it. Um, yeah. And I know that all that happened was they went out, they thought outside the box with who they went and talked to. And yeah. they don't habitually do that. They just yeah. go to the same three or like, like people getting three quotes for something. They go and get yeah. their three and then they're done. Um, I'm going to, um, keep you, Kate, after the news. Okay. Because I want to come back on this in case okay. anybody, uh, there is somebody on the line there in case anybody has any advice for you or anyone okay. has been in this situation and has dealt with it because, um, you couldn't be the only person. So if you have advice for Kate, 1857. 715 996 is the number to call or you can text or WhatsApp us on 083 396
4: 96 96 The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM
5: Now, before the news, I was talking to Kate O'Callaghan about her situation with regard to life insurance. She had cancer, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, a couple of years ago. She's recovered from it. It has an 87% survival rate and um, she can't understand why she isn't being given life insurance so that she can avail of the mortgage approval that she's already got. Uh, Kate, that's a fair summary of where you are, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I suppose just to add, it's it's COVID-19 they're using as the excuse, um, Deirdre. So I know a lot of people probably... Maybe cancer survivors and have gone through a similar experience, mm-hmm. but they're saying in normal times they would have offered a loaded premium, but now it's not normal times, so they're oh. postponing it for a year. So that that's kind of the big. Um,
5: and big, how big are big. they justifying? Are they saying in case you get COVID, I'm a high
3: risk, yeah, but okay. I'm not because the Irish Cancer Society, like I've looked at every report, believe me, and like there are only maybe a risk, a very small risk that I. Could contract COVID, but really, I'm not more at risk than than anyone else. Like, I'm, I'm really healthy, and I was before I had the cancer. I exercise. I exercise more now because it was highly recommended in um oh you know my my recovery. Yeah. I don't smoke, and um, so I just don't see. I just think they're using it as an excuse, and it's inexcusable that they're doing that. So that's mm. that's what they're um. Citing now, Irish Life are saying this isn't the case. That it's just the cancer. But every other writer has said that. And to be honest, I, I believe that it is. That is the reason with Irish Life as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the loaded premium would be two hundred and four. So it's usually about twenty a month. So the loaded premium is twelve per extra thousand. So it would be two forty. A month and I'm lucky that I'm in a position because I don't have any dependents yeah. and that I'm working that I can can offer to pay that but they won't even but engage won't with me it. about that, you know. I yeah. think I'm being more than fair and you know. And you
5: have offered that the bank can take the house if something yeah, does happen to you.
3: Yeah, they, they, the bank just, you have to have mortgage protection to get a mortgage. Like, you know I'm offering, like I don't see what more I can do and it's mm-hmm. like nobody will help me and you have people saying, oh, but we empathise, and you're like, you couldn't possibly empathise because if you'd gone through
12: mm-hmm. it
3: and seen what it's done, like, it's taken my past, I'm not going to let it take my future, and I'm not going to stop fighting it, but I shouldn't have to,
5: you yeah. know? Yeah, you've had enough enough fighting to do already. Yeah. Anne is on the line about this, and she actually had a similar experience. Hi, Anne.
2: Hi, Deirdre, how are you?
5: And tell me, that this all sounded very familiar to you, did it?
2: Oh, God, Deirdre, exactly the same as me. I was diagnosed with cancer twelve months ago, twelve months last January. Um, I had my operation on the end of January, and um, my insurance policy was out in February. And I went in to the broker to get it renewed. Where we myself and my husband were with the same company, the same mm-hmm. Irish Life again. And um, I was told no, I was high risk. And now now I can't get... I've had had cover all my life. Now, what I don't understand either, Deirdre, is this was meant to be life cover. Now, Mm. I understood at the time, life cover is for life, not for 15 years.
5: Yeah. It's, I I suppose... I suppose they you know, the idea with insurance is that, is that, you know, if if you are a high risk, then then they won't insure you. But would they not have had an obligation, I wonder, to continue the cover um, if they'd been covering you all along?
2: I don't know that, dear. He just said to me, he said it's out. He said, unfortunately, he said, um, you have uh, cancer, he said, and he said, you're going to find it very difficult to try I tried a few places couldn't get at the same excuse again um, high risk you must be so many years free mm. mm-hmm. and
5: and, and you pay. you are, haven't had the situation with the mortgage and I'd say no, just no, to hear your voice I I say a little older house. than Kate
2: yeah I owned my own house like I mean I'd got this insurance policy in 2004 yeah and I mean I'm 68 now yeah and it's a fright to God that there is nobody. Like, I did try the credit union and, for God's sake, kittens! I, th- I know it was a thousand euros, which she said, was a good bit of money. For God's sake, that wouldn't even buy a grave at this day and age. Yeah. You know, it's a disgrace. Yeah.
9: yeah. It's not a nice not thing to have disgrace. to think about, really, it's is it? It's not
2: a nice thing. But I always, since I was a small little girl, my mother, we always had it. So mm. I grew up with it. mm and I, you know, it's one, it's a very important part of my life. And I always like to have, you know, insurance cover. I yeah. don't have savings. I'm only, we're only on the pension at the moment now. So I don't have savings as such. Yeah. So my husband is covered. We were both covered up to 2019 for 25,000 each. We were, it was costing us 23 euro a month. Yeah, I lost all that money Yeah,
5: and now do you look back at that 23 euro a month and are you sorry you just didn't save it
2: I do Deirdre, I do if I put that into the credit union I'd have been better off but I didn't understand at the time, who knows nobody can tell you you're going to get cancer you know, and I mean it came as an awful shock to me
5: Mm. and what kind of cancer was it then?
2: I had it in the line of the womb Deirdre yeah,
5: Yeah. that's tough but are you fully recovered?
2: I'm, I'm great, thank God. I am. I'm very good. Yeah, I'm up and down. As you know, you said you mm. been up and down for five years. Yeah. So I'm very good. They're very happy with me and very pleased with me, thanks with God.
13: That's great,
5: yeah.
2: And, but yeah, it's a so tough situation,
5: Anne.
2: It is. It's very difficult when you can't get cover. Yeah. Like, if there is any insurance company out there willing to take us on, I'd have no problem talking to them.
5: Okay, Anne, thanks yeah. yeah. um, thank okay. and thanks, thanks for that. Um thank you very much and thanks for sharing your experience. Thank you very much. was Irish life as well, but then. Kate, yeah. I mean you're I suppose you're at a different stage of life to Anne. You're only yeah, are you only in I, your thirties?
3: I'm yeah, I'm thirty four. Um but like I mean that's just disgraceful as well to have yeah. it all her life. And then because you know, she said life should it should mean life, I mean they want you to go with their companies, but then, as soon as you're a risk, it's like I've. I said to my friend, yes, it's like you're damaged goods, and yeah. it's, it's so insulting. And you know, to not even negotiate something with me, to not even talk to my GP to give the histology mm. report. Like, I mean, I'm living a full. Like, I'm. I went back to work. So my radiotherapy finished on the 5th of September 2018. I was back in work on the 19th of September and I haven't been out a day since. Well, apart from, (laughs) I know we were out this year with COVID and whatever. And um, I don't think I've been sick, like, given a day. I I just think, like, anyone is at risk. You know, someone could go out, God forbid, and be knocked down in the morning. Like, we're Mm. all at risk. And but the thing that
5: gets me about this, case is that when you look now at the survival rates for cancer, for all types of cancers, mm. I mean, um, you hear like years and years ago, people heard cancer and they just thought one thing. But these days, like look around yeah. you at, you know, after people are a particular age yeah. and, you know, at and least kind of half of people have had it at, at some stage or another.
3: Yeah, like I'm 34 and three of my friends, like two girls I was in school with actually got it the same cancer we were all the same year now, but they got it when they were 17 wow. and they're they're perfectly okay i just finished treatment and my friend who was also 31 at the time got breast cancer so like i mean we're young but we've all made full recoveries thankfully yeah. and you know it's um i mean the treatment now is re- is improving year on year and i mean i know we're talking about doctors and nurses being heroes lately but i mean they're heroes all the time and when I was dealing with the UH, I mean, each one was nicer and more professional than the other. And like, they're absolutely brilliant.
5: Like this strikes me Kate staff. I'm just sorry i just looked up that statistic to make sure I wasn't talking to my hat. Yeah. and it's one in two people in Ireland will develop cancer in their lifetime by 2020 yeah. so half of all Irish people will have cancer very few relatively I think of those people will will die from it certainly at a young age or the first time yeah. or whatever you know yeah. um, so there's so many people now who have survived cancer or who are living with a form of cancer that you might live with yeah. um, are they all now to be refused any type of cover? You see
3: I don't know uh dearer is it because the tumor was on my lung um it wasn't in my lung it was on my lung mm-hmm. um is, is that a, a reason that they're pushing me a high risk but the tumor is gone like I've had all my scans my bloods are every 3 months I've never missed a check up everything has come back clear I mean I'm willing to pay more I just think it's it's just not right what they're doing and like even in care insurance there's um they have to give you a quote. There's some declined cases agreement mm. with motor insurance. But that's not the case with mortgage protection. And there should be, you know, I mean, it's mortgage protection. There should be protection in place, you know, for for cancer survivors or anyone within under, not just cancer, any underlying illness. Because, like I said, it's, it's not a choice that yeah. we made. But why are we still paying the price for it?
5: Yeah, it just sounds a bit um, it sounds a bit ridiculous in terms of all of these other people who have who have survived and and the yeah. fact that now it's not a life sentence the way it was when you think no. of all the other things that you could have that you would probably get yeah, it with that are exactly. maybe more dangerous in some ways um, Mag says, this is extremely unfair, I hope someone listening has some advice for Kate another texter advises you to check out on Pust, apparently they do a great life cover, I know someone who had a heart condition and they got the full benefits. Um, okay. Another texter says, most life uh, insurance will cover most survivors once 10 years have elapsed since it was cleared and with a letter from a consultant saying there is no reason for it to, re- it to return. But for you, Kate, like you're 34, yeah, and you've gone sale agreed and you're in the yeah. process of something, I mean, are you going to have to go to your solicitor and, and back out of the sale of your, your well, home house? I,
3: well, I, yeah, I hope not. Like, I'm going to, to try and do you hope someone is listening that can can help me but if it comes to it I will what what choice do I yeah. have you what know, do your
5: buyers know your situation
3: uh, No, <laughs> um, they don't um so um i don't know the buyers are just going to the auctioneer's yeah. um
5: yeah, God, everyone so, who's just gone sale agreed in a house in Cork is listening, going, "Oh no!" Yeah,
3: I know, I know. But um, look, that's why I'm I'm trying to do this so that yeah. I don't have to do this to them because yeah. you know they're being affected as well, and uh, I I just don't know. I like how how this is allowed. It's 2020, and that this is is happening.
5: Yeah. You know, it's it's just. It's disgraceful, really. It is. But well, look, Kate. Hopefully, somebody is listening who might be hopefully. able to help us. Um, yeah. we'll we'll come back to you if anything more useful comes in. Yeah. And thank thanks you for so sharing that story here, with thanks us. Thanks for having me on. Um, no problem. It's like that's a very unfair situation. Somebody thirty-four, the prime of life, um, unable to kind of just progress with life because of that. And you kind of, it just does strike me that if if one in two Irish people now get cancer, um, you know, and the majority of them will survive, then can does everything in your life then afterwards have to be based on the fact that you had cancer um, because like you could have you have loads of other really serious conditions and they're not taken in the same vein at all um, they're not taken as you know this word that is going to change your life forever um, on a totally different note we got this message from somebody the other day and um, I was kind of surprised to see it um, The Um they said did you know if someone goes on their holidays abroad and self-isolates as told to do so on their return to Ireland, so for the two weeks, they can claim the enhanced illness benefit for €350 Euros per week? So... You get to go on your holidays and then you get a free 700 euro when you return. I worked on the front line all through the pandemic, says this texter. I cancelled my holiday. I rang the Department of Foreign Affairs for COVID travel line. They told me to contact the COVID payment information department and they told me to contact the illness benefit department. I couldn't get through to them, but I know the GPs have been advised if a patient requests a cert to prove they are self-isolating, the GP can give it to them. So we got on to the Department of Social Protection and they said to be eligible for the COVID-19 enhanced illness benefit payment a worker must be either 1. diagnosed with COVID-19 by a registered medical practitioner or 2. medically certified by a doctor as being a probable source of COVID-19 infection medical practitioners are authorised to submit certificates of incapacity for work in respect of COVID-19 in the above two circumstances only as outlined in legislation that sounds like because one of the things, if you've been anywhere now that you've had to do a questionnaire about COVID, so if you've been to a doctor's appointment or a physio or um, any of those things, one of the questions they ask you is, have you travelled outside of Ireland? And they can refuse to see you if you've travelled outside of Ireland in the past two, two weeks. So obviously, that a doctor can say that you are a probable source of infection if you have travelled outside of the country. Therefore, they can certify you. Therefore, while you are self-isolating after your holidays, you can claim the COVID payment. So you get your holiday and you get your free 700 euro when you return.
4: This is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
7: us now 1850
4: 715 996. On Court's 96 FM.
7: Loads of
5: text and comments in about what we've been talking about earlier and we'll come back to that. Um very interesting about that um COVID payment entitlement if you are travelling abroad, you have uh you can claim it for the two weeks that you have to self isolate. Well look I suppose if you have to travel of necessity, some people do, um that's the safe you know, they're providing a safe um what's the word a safety net for people who have to travel for whatever reason um, but it is a bit rich if you decided to go on holidays and you can claim it them when you come back um, but I suppose again it's better than people going to work is it? Like, is it better if you have a colleague who decides to go on holidays, you certainly don't want them coming back to work afterwards um, and possibly infecting you in your workplace. So, bit of a hard one to call. Now, on a totally different note, Pieta, formerly known as Pieta House, is encouraging families, communities, companies and individuals to take part in its Feel Good with Pieta initiative. It's taking place across the month to encourage people to connect, be active and feel good by hosting their own socially distanced event or by doing something that makes them feel good. Um, There, of course, darkness to. Delight took place kind of on a individual basis this year didn't really raise the money that it would normally raise for Pieta uh, we had spoken on the show at the time of the huge cutbacks that were being made across the organisation and we had spoken to Chris I think what his name was one of the councillors there who believed that some of these cutbacks were kind of planned anyway and that um, they were part of the rebrand that a lot more of the activity was going to be taking place online and less of it in person um, that they, I suppose the ethos had changed a little bit um, but nonetheless it's it's a charity that is really really close to the hearts of an awful lot of people in Cork and one of them is Sabrina Hill who's on the line hi Sabrina how are you
14: say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you
5: Hi Deirdre, how are you keeping? I'm not too bad well. at all. Of course, people know you better as Superstyle Sabby. How are <laughs> things going?
14: They're going really great at the moment. I think we're all getting used to kind of coming out of lockdown and getting back into some bit of normality, if that's what you could call it. We're getting there.
5: Mm. How, how are things with the business here? Copper has reopened, I assume, has it? It
14: has reopened with a lot of restrictions. Um, do you know what? It's been very, very stressful, if I'm honest. Um, the way we work has really really changed mm. but I can't say enough about the public that have come into us and about my staff and everything we've really pulled together and, and getting hopefully we start getting back to more of a normal kind of a work day
5: oh, yeah. very soon yeah, it's funny, I remember when the lockdown started and the, some of the anxious phone calls we were getting from people people were, I mean, really really terrified and justifiably so. We had seen all the pictures coming from um, Italy of, of morgues and of vans full of bodies and all the rest of it and from New York as well um, but luckily, thank God, t- things didn't get to that extent here but in some ways I think the coming out of lockdown has holds just as much anxiety for people. Like for you personally have you found it very stressful?
14: I have found like I, I think structure was taken off us mm. and like the world had structure put on us and even when we were told we were going into lockdown we were like there was another structure that was put on us but when we were coming out the fear of the unknown and everything that was surrounding us I found that very very difficult to work through because we didn't know what way we could open or and there was an awful lot of pressure as well from outside sources so wanting to get their hair done and from, let's say, the people in general. I find that there's almost a reverse coming out of lockdown and that's why when I got involved with Pieta House, um, it was very important for me with the initiative that they were doing to mind each other's mental health because I felt even with myself, there has been some days there where I feel like there's less care put on people mm. because we're kind of expected to nearly just supposed to get on with it just a little bit. And in, in that respect, I found that very, very stressful.
5: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there about people wanting to get their hair done. Did you get a lot of pressure from people who wanted it done during lockdown?
14: I personally didn't. But then, Deirdre, I'm online all the time yeah. <laughs> ranting and raving. So I think I made it very, very cute about the importance of kind of like, all of us needing to be really careful and to make sure that we're sanitised and that, you know, Mm. that we would open when when we really kind of deemed us fit to be open. So kind of from that respect, I didn't. I did hear of so much of it around and very disappointingly, I heard of a lot of people doing hair from home Um, in that respect. I I was disappointed to hear that, but sure, look, we're kind of on the other side of it now and hopefully all of us will be healthy and safe
5: and continue to, to be that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's funny because we got a lot, we heard a lot of that happening, but actually, mm. certainly, we didn't hear from anyone who said they had done it or who had availed of it. Um, so I kind of, I, I wonder. But um, I, you would know from people's pictures, of course, if they had had their hair professionally done, whereas <laughs> <Absolutely>. I wouldn't. <laughs>
14: Absolutely, there's a couple of people I were like. Hmm. what have
5: you yeah, done? <laughs> I remember we were at home watching the news during the lockdown and we'd be watching different presenters and sure, my roots are down to my ears and um, watching them, my husband going, she doesn't have any roots, like, where, what's she doing? <laughs> and <laughs> it's amazing that men would notice They were noticing, the yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think with the biggest thing with the hair through lockdown was that the shock for me was that the men were way more obsessed with it than the women.
14: Absolutely. What I find funny now is Adam is a barber inside the salon has slime coming in and I don't recognise them.
9: Yeah. Yes.
14: genuinely between <laughs> math now and fluffy kind of wavy hair. I, yeah. Then they
9: get their hair
5: cut and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's you. Yeah, well it does solve a lot of questions for me about, you know the way you see those like hurling matches and football matches from the 70s where all Irish men have curly hair and yes. then now you see them and they actually do have curly hair, they've just cut they it all off. Yes. <laughs> I've always That's wondered about that. Yeah. But um, going back to the, I suppose the mental health aspect of all of it, it, yes. it has been very difficult and it continues to be challenging for people because of course a lot of the supports that, were, that people are used to are not there. Now I know some of the, particularly like the community initiatives, um, we've spoken to people like the Lantern Cork and other organisations mm-hmm. where they're doing everything on the phone, they're doing things remotely, they've been there the whole time but there's really no substitute for that say if you do go to a councillor regularly or you do attend appointments regularly or meetings mm-hmm. or anything like that um, the, kind of the online thing doesn't work for everyone.
14: It doesn't work for everyone but I do feel that during lockdowns We kind of got into this thing where we had no choice Mm. but to make a connection online. And whether that was from watching someone like me, who was just being a positive poly, or like what Pieta had been doing and kind of having counselling services online. And I think we really took into account that there were some people maybe that we worked with that were so much quieter and now they didn't have that connection with people even if it was just a hello because some people were just naturally so quiet. Yeah. And I find that we did, as a nation, we should be so proud of ourselves. As a nation, we completely took that on and we stayed connected. And we got a lot of feel-good habits as well. I, for one, was mad doing the home workouts in the kitchen
9: every morning. <laughs>
14: and I think, Everybody had their own little thing of what they did, whether it was a bingo game online with the family Mm. or whether it was having a Zoom call with the girls or even workmates. And I think that when we have kind of come out of this, it's really important that we hold on to those feel-good habits. It's very easy to forget these things and it's very easy to feel lonely when there's a lot of people around you. Mm. And when you get to that point, you may start feeling like a burden and that's the most dangerous kind of position and place to be in. And that's something that with Pieta House they really want us to kind of like see that we need to connect with people still be active and this in turn will make us feel good
5: mm, Okay, so what's, what's it's a, the home workouts, are they your favourite thing to make you feel good at the moment?
14: Um, do you know what now dear, dear, I'm not doing too many of those <laughs> at the with my schedule I st- they definitely did have a massive effect on my mental health I would have always been very open about the fact that um, I would have suffered from kind of like mental health anxiety and and different um, things when I had my son years and years ago. And I have found that keeping active for me and I actually really found this out during the middle of COVID, really found it out, that keeping active cleared my head. Mm. And if this is something that I'm sure my mother is probably listening now and roaring. I told you this all the time. <laughs> yeah,
9: but go out there it, for a walk.
14: Yeah, go out for a walk. How many times have we heard yeah. the Irish mammy telling us this? Yeah. But like literally, I didn't realise the importance of it. Mm. Mm.
5: until now. Well, and so, I think for somebody like you and probably me as well who are glued mm. to our phones all the time, um, yes. the only time you can't look at your phone is if you're exercising.
14: <laughs> well, the only thing is as well, just like you're talking about being glued to your phone and it's just that i was shouting out a lot about with mental health, we really need to be accountable for what we watch online. Mm. And that was something I think an awful lot of people learned how to use a mute button on different social media platforms or that they really kind of looked at what they were watching because that's what you absorb. So I think that we still need to kind of bring that kind of into outside of lockdown as well. Mm -hmm. That's another aspect of it. Because you're right, you and I do live on our phones. um, That's because you and I do it for a living. When you think about it, it's part of our job. And I think it's really important as well that way that we kind of really um, assess what we do every day online. It can Mm -hmm. affect our mental health so much.
5: Absolutely, and I have seen an awful lot of people um, I know myself, I never n- used the mute button as much as I used it during lockdown, um, and I've seen an awful lot of people actually gone off social media altogether. It's funny because I suppose like like a lot of other things, it's a double-edged sword. It can be great on one hand to keep in touch and we're all online now all the time because yes. of lockdown, but on the other side of it, it's it's um, only letting in the things that are actually going to be good for you and the people that well, are going I to be good for you. I
14: think though that that is a thing where you need to be accountable yourself. Yeah. I mean, like, you have to have control over what you do in with regards to I can say nothing but glorious things about social media I wouldn't have the business I have I wouldn't have built up the other mm. companies that I own and I wouldn't have an online presence and be able to work with that mm. and I think that's from being really accountable about what I watch and what I allow myself to absorb as well mm. I think
5: we need to And have that you ever doing. got into any kind of hot water on social media about anything you've put up yourself?
14: Uh, once or twice I have put up stuff, and it was a place of ignorance, really, where I didn't understand something. Mm. And what I took from that was to be educated mm. um, on it, um, and, and then kind of like it. That changed my mind about things. I suppose, in a way, I don't come from a place where um, I like. Uh, I don't like putting up anything mad online and I like being positive, so I suppose not in one way but in saying that now, Deirdre, I'm like a rhinoceros. It would take a huge amount for something to affect me. I'm Mm. very lucky that way. That incident was the
5: the dwarfism comment, I think, was it?
14: Oh, I can't recall. I can't remember. Was there something on a radio? I don't because I actually don't look at anything online. These are Mm. totally different things I'm all about. No can't recall that.
5: Okay. Yeah, no, because I know we often, all of us who do video and things online, it can be a bit, um, Mm. if if you go into areas we don't know about, it can be a bit challenging, all right? And
14: I suppose, you know what, that's a wonderful thing to take away from both that here, that you can educate yourself online about things, um, which I think is actually most
9: important.
5: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So feel good with Pieta. Um, is it, can people find out more on your own platforms or on the Pieta platform? Yeah. So for the next couple of
14: weeks, I'm going to be chatting kind of for the next two, three weeks. I'm going to be chatting a little bit more about all of this. Um, and I'm going to be chatting about connecting and be active and about different events that are going on. I'm actually, I'm going to have a couple of events that I'll be announcing myself over the next week. So I'm really looking forward
5: great. Well, we look forward to seeing more about that. Superstyle Sabby, thank you very much for talking to us this morning. No problem. Take care. Have a great thank day. Thank you. You Bye. too. Bye. Yeah, yes, so there you go. Feeling good with Pieta. So let us know what you're doing to feel good during this kind of post-lockdown phase. I see loads of people are off out to the beach and going sea swimming and all of that. I actually saw this morning Steve Redmond, who cheapers. is um, Jeepers, I'd say he's Ireland's most um, decorated sea swimmer, um, has swam all the way to the Fastnet Lighthouse, which is incredible. He met jellyfish and mink whales and all sorts of things on, on the way there we might try and talk to him maybe tomorrow on the show about that um, he's kind of a man of few words but he does some incredible things um, for me I have to say swimming in the sea is the biggest thing and I am not a daily swimmer I can't face it every day but I know once I get into the water I'm like oh yeah why don't I do this every day every single time I beat myself up about not going more often but I think it's a case of uh, doing something that you know you know will make you feel good even if you don't want to get up and out and do it I have a few more bits um, of advice for Kate, which I will come back to in a minute. And yesterday we were talking about um disability services day services respite services uh, special needs classes all of these things are um, kind of still up in the air finding out about um, what's happening with them and parents really and carers are just at the end of their tethers Um, Gerald Reardon who's spoken to us on the show before is going to talk to me in a little while about that if you have a family member or a loved one in um, some kind of a service that is operating let us know we'd like to hear about which ones are um, or that isn't um 396 96 96, 96 is, is the text or WhatsApp or you can call the show on 1850 715 996 Now yesterday we were talking about disability services and I mentioned that as far as we knew COPE were up and running but it's a limited service within COPE that is actually up and running um, We got a couple of texts from people saying Morning dear do we haven't any service yet from COPE open very limited we're looking at a very limited service September and we've no idea what's going to happen another texter said just to say COPE day services are far from open in that they are providing a very limited day service one example is a day service in Glasheen which provided services to over 120 people now provide a service for up to 6 people per day that is extremely limited we got onto COPE and they said we know, know the last few months have been extremely difficult for everyone, for so many people we support and their families this time has been particularly challenging, a resumption and reconfiguration oversight group has been established Within Cope Foundation, and this group is working on the phased reopening and reconfiguration of our services that were affected by COVID nineteen. A slow, considered resumption and reconfiguration of services, based on government and public health advice, is the only way to manage the next stages safely for everyone. So, I think, like many bigger organisations that deal with groups of people, they just really don't know what's happening. Um, the public health advice is so, um, I suppose, is still so very cautious about groups that you know, it's kind of amazing in some senses The creches have been allowed to reopen um, almost as normal. They're the only thing that has. Um, it was struck me this morning as I was coming in, you know, the schools, we're talking about schools, we still don't know, six weeks out from the school year supposed to be starting. We still have no idea what that's going to look like. Like, are we just going to let schools go back in the normal way? Um, I think we've established that small children aren't going to do social distancing. They have this pod thing in creches Um but of course in a creche you have a very small pupil-teacher ratio, whereas in schools bigger schools, you know um, primary or secondary schools, three of 30 people in a room, in most rooms you know, that's not a runner but, so we don't know so I suppose with the day services you have the same issues really. Um, Ger O'Riordan uh, we've spoken to Ger on the show before, good morning Ger Morning, David. How are you? I'm not too bad, Jerry. Your son is, is 27 and he has a very severe Down syndrome. And he's been his day service is back all right in Lota?
11: No, no, his day service is not back in Lota. He oh,
5: goes sorry, to Lota. Okay.
11: He's, 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 he's picking up every morning and he goes to Lota, but his day service is not back. He has nothing.
5: So, what are they doing when he's in Lota?
11: You see, the class he's in in Lota is that they're all residential. Uh, uh, people with him he's, not, he's the only person living at home
7: so okay.
11: they actually take him in on his own but his services are not returned
7: So what he'd do they come, do
11: with him all day? They, they, they might take him for a spin, to spin here they do the best of him uh, uh, the hands off that they're still taking him which they didn't have to just put one person with him to look after him he might watch a video he might go for a spin he might go for a walk but his services are far from back
5: Right. Waits so, he's
11: there. He's actually regressing at the moment. Yeah.
5: So, oh, things fantastic like... fantastic
11: work there that was done by Focus, which is in the water campus, yeah. and Dr O'Brien, uh, down through the airs, are oh, all gone now. He's lost everything.
13: So,
5: things, I suppose, like speech and language and... All and
11: oh, these guys. Well, he never had good speech and language other, He's all single ones. Right. And he's, he's ever taught how to, to nappy train that's down to the country we live in that they left him down. Yeah. Years ago, he didn't get he didn't get the speech, speech and language years ago that he required.
5: Yeah, and do you think if he was if he was born now, do you think his outcome would be very different?
11: Well, you see, I hear that there, other that people say to me years ago it was they had nothing. I still yeah. think they have nothing.
5: Yeah,
11: they have a few good people looking after them. Yeah, When you take there uh My son telling me, asking me last night, swimming, swimming, that's these single walls. Why isn't he going swimming in the of campus? I can't tell him. Yeah, I can tell him when the hear. This is an opening. I can tell them when the pubs are open. I can tell them when Woodies are opening. Because that's all we're getting off the TV news. Yeah, That's all I'm hearing on the news every night. The hairdressers are opening now. Woodies is opening now. The pubs can't open. To, but there's no talk about these people. The, 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 these people with intellectual disabilities are forgotten about. They've been forgotten about for years by yeah. governments, By yeah. government after government. They, they, they throw bit. They throw the, the, the cables along with out of us. There's not enough to sh- to fill a, a, a sh- shopping trolley in the middle. We don't want that. We want we want uh, respite services. Mm. we want services for them to, to advance them in their time. That's what we want. So when you used start, to get respite. Well.
5: No it doesn't. And you used to get respite as well every six well, weeks like, but that's I, contra- I got
11: every summer I used to get a week respite but then and on the top of that I get two nights every six weeks. Yeah. Every six weeks they get two nights off to reboot we said my said, wife can sit down and relax reboot for the next stage.
9: Yeah.
11: Because when I go home now in my house I go home today after work and I go into the kitchen where Ian is and I no mean, sitting alongside him he has the television on full blast he has his DVDs with Garth Brooks on full blast we can't talk because we can't hear each other Yeah. and that's Seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Yeah. You can imagine that noise in a room. Seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, Deirdre.
5: And does he it's sleep, sir? Sure. Sorry? Does he sleep? He,
11: we see, with all the training he got in focus and the help from Dr O'Brien in Lota campus, we had Ian down to the teeth. He used to go out in the morning to his daycare centres. He used to do his jobs here. He had his own specific jobs to do. That's why I'm saying he, they're all gone. Yeah. He used to deliver you know, the post, and then he used to go swimming, and then you know, they, they take him to the cinema for social act, activities. Yeah. But he had none of that. Now that's all gone. And he used to go to bed at nine o'clock every night, there, Without fail. Yeah. I'd say uh, time for bed. Up to bed. last night, he went to bed at quarter to twelve.
9: South I asked North him to Brick. go to
11: bed, and now his temper tantrums are coming back again. Yeah. We had all that sort of Deirdre. Everything was perfect in our life. Bare the respite. We will get no respite, only two nights every six weeks. But in fairness to focus in Lotus Campus and Dr. O'Brien, we had him where we wanted him. Now, every day goes on, I could see him regressing and regressing and regressing. He won't go to bed. He's back to eating too much. He's back to... Eat. Your temper tantrums are coming back again. Everything that we got rid of is gone. Yeah. But the sickening part of all this is that we have a government that don't care. Because not once in this pandemic did I hear anything about daycare centres or respite centres or anything like that. Not once. I heard about hairdressers opening, pubs opening. I know I'm not down in that they have a, they have their life to live as well. But these people with intellectual disabilities, they're other citizens as well. Mm. You see, you tell me we all know what the COVID nineteen is, my son doesn't know what's happening to him. He doesn't know why he's after losing everything. He don't understand why he get up one morning and go to work and everything's changed. Why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? Why isn't he doing this here services? Why isn't he going to the cinema? Why is the swimming pool closed all the time? He doesn't understand what COVID-19 is the there. He doesn't know what's after hitting him. And he's <laughs> not the only one. There's loads of people out there. And on the flip side of that, then, you have the carers who have to put up with this constantly, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and who are shouting for years for proper respite? There's a respite centre down Gatherstone and it's closed more times than it's opened. My son goes there two nights every six weeks and I had to fight for four years to get that. But the rest of the time it's closed because they can't manage it.
9: They
11: enough
5: Yeah. Like Jerry, you're not getting any younger.
11: I'm 59 out this year, David. And I have to change him. And the wife is the same, we have to change his nappies, we have to bat him. It's just like, it's like imagine a 16-stone baby, that's what we have. That's all I have at home, 16-stone baby.
5: And you have no options? We have no options, no, no, no.
11: We have to live with this. My youngest son spends most of his time in his bedroom because of the nice downstairs.
5: And how old is he? He's 22. Has he been able to keep going out to work, or is he at home? Or
11: oh, he's at home. He's at home with us. Yeah, but he spends most of his time in the bedroom because of the night he can't, and I wouldn't blame him. Yeah, with with the television full blast, and not only that, he's watching the same program over and over and over again, and he's listening to the same song over and over and over again. It's the same song and the same program on television constantly. But when he comes home, half is three, and that's until quarter twelve, half till the quarter twelve at night. And then we get to bed and me and his wife sit down and we just chill out for an hour and go to bed. That's our life. We're not looking for the to go to holidays in Spain. We don't do all these things. We've, we've never been on a holiday together.
9: You've never been but on a holiday But
11: The all path of all this theatre is a government that don't care. Yeah. Down through the years it's been the same.
5: And so people like your son have been forgotten in all of this.
11: Oh, they've been forgotten a long time ago. They've been forgotten long before COVID-19. Long before it. You go, I fought for four years there to, for the HSC to get respite, and thank God I ended up getting two two nights every six weeks. But the, the, the sad thing about that, there's people out there worse off me, that has no respite.
9: Yeah.
11: And are still fighting for it. Yeah. But you see... The government don't care because they don't see it. You see, they don't they don't go through this or we're going through, yeah. and it's hard for other people to understand it as well.
5: Actually, it's 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 interesting you say that because when. Um one of one of the things that, you know, people say with various different situations that we have on air, um, is, you know, the politicians don't understand it or they've never been in that situation. But actually Eamon Ryan has a son with with a severe disability who's who, and his wife that, yeah, yeah. his wife is at home looking after him and um she wrote a really excellent piece. I would actually I, I'll post it up on Facebook after the show. Um Victoria White is her name and she wrote a piece in the Examiner. She had a call column yeah. call him in the examiner. And she wrote it about um, Eamon Ryan getting the new job and how basically now she has no support she will have no support from him and she will be at home every day looking after the son with nobody else there because he'll be out at work all the time yeah and
11: but that's there's a side of interrupting that's very yeah. fine there though, but Eamon Ryan was in negotiations with Fianna Fáil and Fianna mm-hmm. Gale and all he was concern, concerned was the green effect and bicycles and cows. Why didn't he make that a condition of mm. going into government that there'd be more respite and more facilities there for these people? When he's one of us, you could say, he's one yeah. of us. Why didn't he make that a priority when he was trying to form a government? Yeah, I didn't hear it coming out on the news or anything that AM and wanted, wanted respite and special needs assistance and, speci- and more stuff there for special needs people.
9: Mm.
11: Why didn't he make it a priority for himself and for us? Yeah, When he had the opportunity, instead well, did- of talking about greenhouse gases and cars and trains and bikes,
5: yeah, and the the new Minister for Disability, I think Roderick Gorman has that under his portfolio, so we might try and get him in the next while to see what's actually happening with this, because um, you're... you're uh,
11: we had Minister after Minister, I yeah. went to meetings after meetings with top people in the HSC, and I'm told there's no money, no money, no money, no money. Yeah. There's no money in the country, but they're, 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 they're building hotels all over Coxsey, as we speak. Yeah,
5: true for you. Ger-
11: they're building uh, the centres... All over the place, and there's no money down the country. All they need to do, Deirdre, is build a proper respite centre in Cork. Yeah. And share a road amongst the carers. Proper respite is what we need, and proper facilities for our children that we're looking after.
5: Jer, we could talk all day I'd say thank you for that because it's um, I you're very articulate and very well able to stand up for yourself and I, I know that um, in, in that situation you have to be uh, you've been dealing of course with uh, Donica O'Leary TD Donica, um Ger is not the only person in this situation of course but he explains it very well I think so
15: look I mean it's heartbreaking to listen to really to be honest um, like look I think you know it is, it is I suppose there's a lot of considerations at the minute with Covid but like you know, we can't let everything stop either. And for me, the two biggest priority, I know people, employment and things like that are important, but for me, the two biggest things have to be education to ensure that people can resume that and services for people with intellectual disabilities, be they adults or children. And to be honest, it has been, there's been mixed messages. It's been slow. The services that have been available the last few months have been, you know, for most people, non-existent and for some people, very little, um... We've been told, you were saying the minister's Roger O'Garman, he's the senior minister but the junior minister is Anne Rabat mm-hmm. and what what she's been saying is that the services will resume from August to be honest, though anecdotally what we're hearing back is a lot of services saying that they won't be back till December, January
9: wow.
15: uh, of next year and like, parents can't wait for that, the children can't wait for that you hear it yourself, like I mean yeah. your son there like regressing in terms of speech Like, that's oh, that must be, I can't imagine how difficult that must be to watch uh, as a father as a parent like you know just to watch that regression like, and it's so unfair really to be honest and like I've heard other examples children and adults who have forgotten how to do things like they might have learned how to spoon feed themselves and things like that like and for a lot of people that mightn't be much but for, for, for the, the for the person themselves or for the families it's huge it's yeah. huge in terms of their autonomy in terms of their dignity in terms of their self esteem all these things have fallen back so far Um, and I know people had to make decisions around COVID and things like that but we've had a bit of time now to readjust and it hasn't been quick enough really to get these services off the ground. I don't blame the services. I think they're doing the best they can with the resources. They have what's needed is clearer guidance Mm. for the services and what's needed is is an investment, and I know mean, oh, there's money is a big discussion at the minute now in terms of public services, I think we need it for schools, but we need investment too in these services to ensure that, that they can operate to the best capacity that they can, and that they can do that safely so, mm. like, that means personnel it means equipment, it means lots of things but, you know, so look, I mean we're raising this in the dive today, a number of TVs, or we're hoping to anyway And um, we have submitted what's called a topical issue today where there's It's kind of a lottery system, but we're hoping it'll be selected and that we get a chance to debate with the minister the issues that families and parents are facing, the issues that the people themselves, be they children or adults who are availing of these services that they're facing, try and get some clarity and try and put the pressure on. Like January or December is far too far off. And I think respite is an important point too, Gerda. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's far too scarce. They're trying to, like, the services, the, the people providing respite, They're trying to do America's loaves and fishes, really, with the number of days they have available and the demand that's there. It can't be done. You know, there's a significant need for increase of the respite that's available. Places like, uh, Garrison do need to be open a, a, an awful lot more. Again, I don't blame the services. It's about investment. It's about resources.
5: Yeah. Yeah, Donica, it's 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 a tough one because I mean December or January is just insane that nobody could wait that long. I mean, I know as a parent of of small kids, if we were told we were waiting that long for crèches, there would be a revolt. Um I mean, what does strike me, thanks Donica, is that that crèches are back. Um and we still have no template for schools we still have no template for these other services for, for people with disabilities or for children with disabilities but we've managed to do creches and creche workers who are the lowest paid and who are have the least autonomy in, in this situation of the least bargaining power have just kind of got on with it and I wonder is that because they have the least bargaining power um, or is it just because they recognise that it has to be done
4: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM
5: Lots of responses into things we've been talking about earlier this morning. Um, this text, apropos of nothing, from Cove says there is a roundabout near the graveyard, and they are after putting some wire decoration, like a bird or something. It is disgraceful to look at. Born and bred in Cove, and we get no say in what happens to the makeover of the town. Um, if that's the same roundabout I'm thinking of, is it Velvet Velvet's House Cross roundabout? Is that the name of it? Um, I think it's lovely. I think it's a lovely thing. I guess taste is subjective. Um, it's on the way down there to cuscini and to the Nature Reserve and there's birds kind of, yeah, they're metal birds up on the roundabout to highlight the Nature Reserve down the road. Um, I think the Tidy Towns might have had a hand in it. Um, I, I think it's lovely. If you're in Cove and you've seen the new roundabout, what do you think? Um, and there's a new mural on the other side of the island. There's a lot of, of new um, things that have, have been put in there. It's funny because Middleton has lots of those kind of things. It has uh, lots of sculptures and lots of public art. And I my one of my <laughs> favourite shows ever that I remember doing here uh, was people ringing complaining that there was too many sculptures in Middleton. Um when, you know, other places would love sculptures. So, I guess you can't please all the people all the time. Um, In relation to COPE, um, Kev, and and to, sorry, not just COPE, Disability Services, guys, stop putting COPE on everything because um, we're not actually talking about COPE. Um... That story was, look I have no words to that, none that you could broadcast anyway. Yeah, it's very distressing. Um, the day services obviously, some of the Marine Corps. So Lota is where Ger's um, son was attending. Um uh, Lotus where your son was attending and the services they are taking him every day um, which is great so look obviously people get a break and that kind of thing during the day carers do but um, the, most of the activities that he normally does are gone so swimming and things like that um, John says if we looked at the TD's expenses alone we'd sort a lot of money issues not really John um, yeah like there's yeah there's 100 and whatever 50 ATDs and they all have however much in expenses but comparing that to the number of staff needed to staff those services around the country and it's not comparable really like yeah for one service maybe you'd fix one but then there's people in this situation all over the country um, text to Mary says I D, the Bonington Training Centre in Cope Montanati is not open and no plans to open until September th- for 1.5 days a week per client and no transport provided that like, How can people live with that kind of uncertainty? Like, Mary, I don't know who you're looking after or what your situation, your relationship is to it, but um, presumably if people, if carers want to have any kind of employment or they want to have any kind of social life or even just get things done while while somebody is out of the house, that makes it very difficult. Um, my, I mean, I don't have uh, any caring responsibilities on that level, but I do have two small children and I know that even trying to get the house clean With them there is impossible Um, like yesterday I cleaned the the dining room chairs because they were gone out of the house for the first time in weeks and weeks without me Um, and I actually managed to clean chairs I've been looking at for months so uh, if you want to get anything done at all 1.5 days a week with somebody is, is, is really not enough um, in relation to um, travel, McCroom, small collision in Cork Street, McCroom I don't think anyone is hurt but expect delays that's from Brian um, day centres a caller wants to know when the day centres with activities etc for older people are opening again they really miss them yeah that must be a real lack in the day I know my granny used to go to one of those and she loved it and um, that's a real uh that's a real missing link, really, for people, I think. Um, in relation to the Kate and her story about having cancer and not being allowed to get life cover um, and therefore not being able to draw down her mortgage, she says, Heidi, regarding the cancer survivor and the mortgage, this is Michelle, the fact that she is single might be the problem. If she had a partner, then the banks would probably consider her less risky. I heard that a single applicant is considered higher risk even if they have more job security compared to a couple applicant. Hope this woman gets sorted by a house is stressful enough. Michelle. Yeah Michelle you're right if she if she'd a partnership with a permanent job she'd probably be fine but um, she doesn't so unless there's some kind of... Kate if you're still listening unless you're willing to undergo a sham marriage with somebody who has a permanent job in order to get this I think you're, you're still in hiding to nothing. Another person says if she goes back to the bank or mortgage broker and gets them to waive the life policy the bank can do it if you push hard enough. Yeah another vote for unpust, over fifties no medical insurance. Note it does not pay out in the first two years if there's a death in that period but they do refund premiums paid well that's really fair isn't it Um, Kev says yesterday you paid tribute to a woman dragged to the courts by the state when she was dying that was Ruth uh, Morrissey now this this is no country to be sick in if the illness doesn't get you then life insurance will yeah it's tough isn't it um talking to Ernest Cantillon earlier about uh, the reopening of Electric and talking to Williams Bar McCurtain Street about his shop and about people not wearing masks into the shops Um, and of course with Sabrina Hill about post-lockdown anxiety I think a lot of us are very nervous of doing things and I think that nervousness and anxiety about getting back into the world is causing um, a lot of stress and tension and difficulties for people, you know, just in, in normal, trying to do normal daily things. And uh, I think the phrase for it now that has been coined is coronaphobia. Um, Dr. John Francis Leader is, is on the line. Good morning, John.
1: Hey, Deirdre. How are you doing?
5: I'm not too bad at all. Thanks. Can you tell me a bit about coronaphobia?
1: Yeah, well, it's a term that's emerged recently because in our social media world where we only have so many characters and we're trying to sum up all these complicated feelings and thoughts, coronaphobia has is, is kind of done the job. And uh, it's interesting because, of course, you had a lot of us who were unhappy maybe about being at home, not that I was at home, I was working all the way through it, but a lot of us that were unhappy with that, uh, and then, of course, um, when it comes to re-emerging, some of us are uncomfortable about that as well, uh, because it feels strange, it feels weird to kind of get back there again, and I think we're in a really weird phase as well at the moment, because really what anxiety is very much related to is a sense of control and a sense of safety, and of course, before any of this happened, we were doing what we were doing, so that, that was okay. Then, when this happened, at least we had clear and restrictive guidelines. Don't go anywhere, stay home. And although that was scary in its own way, at least it was clear. But now we're in this weird phase where we're kind of trying to re-engage and the guidelines are kind of, use your own common sense. It's not necessarily clear what to do and people are doing different things. So I think that's one of the reasons why there is a fair bit of anxiety.
5: Yeah, I mean, uncertainty causes anxiety, doesn't it? We like to, in some respects, we like to be told what to do.
1: And there's research to show about that that, you know, people would almost rather a, a more challenging thing, but they knew exactly what it was, yeah. than something that was potentially less, but there was an uncertainty. And there's a massive amount of uncertainty at the moment. And, I mean, purely just from a, a psychological training point of view, of course, the government campaigns, the media campaigns, for very good reason, of course, over the past number of weeks and months have trained us to be cautious or afraid of certain situations. Mm. So then to switch after that and to, say, re-engage... Of course it feels uncomfortable and it's not that we can't do it but I think the anxiety is completely understandable.
5: Yeah, and I mean one of the things that has struck me about all of this is that there's been so much family tension um, among people and um, particularly I suppose at the beginning of the lockdown again we had a lot of contact from younger people whose parents were not following the cocooning advice and who were really sort of angry and worried and upset um, and that has kind of continued now, now that we're reopening I suppose a lot of the cocooners you know everyone kind of eventually did have a cocoon for that period where we didn't weren't allowed to go anywhere um, but now the things are back opening up it's a very fine line to sort of not behave as if everything is normal but try and get back to some level of living and that tension in families I don't think that's gone away.
1: It's a very hard thing because it's, it's such a social thing, this. And that's, I think, one of the things that's, you know, many people have noted through this. Very often when we have an issue or a topic that's affecting people, it's affecting a certain group of people, mm. but not another group. Now, of course, it's not to say that this affects everybody equally by any means. It certainly doesn't. However, at the same time, there is an effect to everybody. We at least know, you know, what the issue is and there's some common effects. But the problem, I suppose, with this is in order to, do well by it, it requires us to kind of collaborate and synchronize with each other and that's very hard to do if you're being ultra cautious and the other person you know, doesn't seem to care that much and somebody else is doing something in the middle so as you're saying there, that's one of the things that can kind of fray relationships, it's the real challenge sometimes at the best of times, even before this, maybe our communication strategies weren't their best, but now we're kind of trust into what seems to be a life or death situation and in certain cases it may be for certain vulnerable groups, so trying to help that balance—it's
5: tricky. Like for somebody who is vulnerable now, listening, and obviously we all have varying levels of vulnerability. I think some people are listening who probably don't realise they're vulnerable, maybe, um, and you know that you there are probably people listening who who um, who think they're invincible, but who maybe have you know could be very uh, susceptible to it. Um, but with regards to people who have identified their vulnerability and who are suffering from this coronaphobia, who have a fear of kind of doing anything, what would your advice to them be?
1: Well I think the main thing to do is to to I think appreciate if you're listening to this and you're feeling that way to appreciate how you feel and, and I mean that, other people to appreciate how they feel and they can appreciate that those feelings are coming up for a reason because the problem here I think is when we talk about a phobia classically, usually clinically what we mean by a phobia is a disproportionate amount of anxiety to the actual risk that's there So there's a big risk. It's fine to feel lots of anxiety. That it would actually be a problem not to have the anxiety if there is a big risk. Uh, However, this isn't a situation where there is no risk. And to be fair, it's a situation where everybody, including the experts, are trying to figure it out as we go along. Mm. So this is a rather unique situation compared to most other situations. So I think the fact that there is some anxiety, and as I say, with the various reinforcement and listening to the ads and things like that warning you, it's no wonder, I suppose, for at least some of the population that there is still some of that anxiety. Now, in terms of addressing that, I think the main thing to do, having appreciated how valid it is, is that as weeks, and I suppose months go by, it is still perfectly okay to have some level of ease and relaxation as well as a kind of a healthy caution as well. Mm. So the point is the two can coexist to some degree. Now, it's up to you at what pace you move when it comes to re-engaging. Not everybody's going to do it at the same pace. And that's kind of part of the community thing because there'll always be a few risk-takers will do the thing first and then a few people in the middle will start doing it and then a few people who are the last to adopt anything, whether it's new technology or whether it's re-engaging. Yeah. So it does have to happen kind of slowly and in stages for different people. But I like to use this example of an accelerator and a brake and a car or the same if you cycle or you walk, that if we have the accelerator down the whole time, that's risky, obviously. Mm. But you don't want the brakes on the whole time either. So it's kind of finding that balance in the middle. And you can't just kind of learn it off. You can't just avoid everything, because that itself is risky in a way. You You need to live to some degree too. So you might think, oh my God, if I'm learning to drive or cycle, how will I ever learn when to push forward and when to pull back? But you kind of do, isn't it? It becomes kind of a reflex over time to know to gently slow down, to speed up. So I think that's all we need to get good at supporting each other and doing, having that kind of relaxation but also engagement proportionately.
5: That's a very good analogy, actually, and I think um, what you mentioned support and one of the difficulties then with, for people who are very anxious and who are justifiably anxious because they have you know underlying conditions or whatever it is, mm-hmm. for those of us who are dealing with them or who maybe are living with them or working with them or a family member, um, what approach do we take in in I suppose supporting them?
1: yeah I think it's a combination of firstly validating the feelings again, understanding that you know it's probably not a surprise that they are there uh, there's some people who feel anxiety anyway in the best of times so what to speak of you know everything that's been going on, I think that's very reasonable, and that goes a long way I think because A lot of the time what people who experience anxiety find is that if their anxiety isn't appreciated, I don't mean siding with it and doing nothing, but Mm -hmm. if it's not appreciated to some degree, then almost the anxiety feels the need to be there as a protective mechanism. Like you're walking near the edge of a cliff and somebody says, ah, don't worry, it's grand. You go, no, hold on a minute. No, (laughs) (laughs) you got to push back a bit more because we need a certain amount of caution. So validating it is important. But I think the other thing we can do if we are supporting other people in our life who are in that situation is to some degree choose our battles as well. Mm. Because re-engagement isn't this binary thing where, again, we just put the foot to the floor in the accelerator, and do everything in life or don't do anything. And if you think about it, even before coronavirus, we didn't presumably live that way anyway. Maybe a certain yeah. percentage of the population did, but we would be cautious before we do certain things we still have some degree of moderation so to be able to talk to somebody and say well what are at least some ways that you can bring in relaxation? Even if you keep your anxiety around reengaging, for example, mm. what are other sources of wellness that could be brought in? Even if you work as a firefighter and you're putting out fires all day, you still need to relax between shifts, you know. Yeah. So it's not to demean the importance of the work, but it's to bring in that relaxation in ways they feel safe doing. And then if there can be re how can you take it kind of bit by bit? Like going to a gym. You don't go on day one and pick up the heaviest machine you can and try and get super fit. You hopefully take it in stages and kind of stretch the muscles and they're going kind to of feel safer in stages. So something like that, kind of validation and choosing your battles does tend to be helpful.
5: Okay. And... I suppose um, along the, the road from that is these family situations where I mean we've heard quite a bit about it um, say for example you have young people who are going out partying or you know doing things that aren't in line with the advice and who are maybe engaging in some risky behaviour and obviously it's not just young people but I will use that as an intergenerational example for, for what this the situation. Say you have young people going out partying in a household where there is somebody else who is vulnerable um, or people say engaging in travel and not quarantining um, again in a, vul- a household where there's somebody vulnerable. There are a lot of situations now where a person in a vulnerable, posi- vulnerable position or who perceives themselves to be vulnerable might be experiencing feelings of betrayal and feeling that those other family members you know aren't uh, are being selfish or aren't um, thinking this through and aren't acting in their best interests. How do you deal with that within a family?
1: Yeah, it's a really tricky one. And, you know, as in some of the examples you're giving, there's so many variants of this as well that probably mm. require different measures. And then sometimes before any of the, the recent events have happened with coronavirus, sometimes th- there already aren't maybe brilliant lines of communication yeah. or coordination there, which just kind of compounds it a bit more. So I think the, the solution to all of this is really good conversations. Now, as I just said, sometimes that's hard to start at this point. However, you could look at it the other way. Maybe this is a good time to start. it. You know, maybe this is something that kind of helps... Families or groups of people that are living together have those conversations and coordinate and maybe communicate their needs a little bit more. What I think is really important to aim for in this uh, is, again, this kind of non binary thinking. Because if it's this push pull, if it's Mm. this idea that person X has an absolute right to go out and live their life to the fall and how dare you stop them, or person Y has an absolute right to be safe and how dare you threaten that. The problem is those needs that each of those people have aren't really being met. So some degree of coordination or compromises needed, and I think in speaking to in speaking to everybody, but I think particularly to, to to younger people because you know when we're a bit younger, particularly in the the kind of the, the teenage stage. Uh, Really, literally, neurologically, we're not capable of processing risk in the same way. Mm. <laughs> we don't quite have that capacity. So sometimes it does need to be spelled out a bit more. But also, we need to be able to speak on the language, I suppose, of somebody who's in that place. So the very often a good way to have the conversation is not so much what should or shouldn't happen, but what are the consequences of, uh, of it happening. So you know, if you want to go to that party, okay, you can do that. It's not that you can necessarily be stopped. But as a result, that means you can't see Granddad for a while. Mm. So, you know, what does that then mean in terms of this Sunday? So it's not even you should or you shouldn't, but how can we kind of work that out? maybe arrive at some sort of a balance that is meeting people's needs for social connection and safety and, and so on. So they're tricky enough conversations to have but they're so worthwhile having and the good thing is even a little progress in that kind of communication can actually do wonders for relationships generally aside from corona safety.
5: Mm. Yeah and um, I suppose one of the things that came up I think maybe midway or three quarters of the way through lockdown and we, I think we featured somebody on the show about it at the time was that there's no psychologist on effort or no psychiatrist um, and no nobody in when giving the public health advice obviously public health is a specialty a medical specialty yeah. and that's that's you know that's in and of itself but there was nobody on Neffet saying well are we not going to balance you know medical need versus psychological need because at the end of the day they're the same thing
1: yeah, this is a, a common complaint. I'm a member of the Psychological Association and, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, you know, a number of groups as well where we're regularly dealing with, with this type of issue. It's interesting because mental health, as a buzzword tends to be used quite a lot. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes the representation doesn't quite follow. So yeah, I absolutely couldn't agree with you more on that. It is something we really need to take into account. And typically what happens, uh, and by the way, in practice, you know, the medical community and the psychological community do tend to cooperate very well together or more just on a kind of policy and making sure it's well represented, and that definitely does need to happen more. But the issue, I suppose, a lot of the time is that very often it's not that that anything needs to be done differently medically, but I suppose what the psychological involvement does is it helps translate things into ways that are actually applicable in the real world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the key thing, because, you know, it's like, imagine if you're going to run an advertising or marketing campaign, but you don't have any psychology involved in it. You can talk about your product all day long, but if it doesn't actually relate to what people feel they need, you're not going to sell any of them. So it's kind of the same thing in terms of public policy communication, I think. So, of course, there has been involvement by psychologists, you know, downstream from that. And, you know, we're obviously working actively to try and help people in our various positions that we're in and in the community and in private practice and in in other places. Yeah, as much as possible, that's that is key.
5: Okay, thank you for that. People can find out more at jfl. dot com. If you run a therapy practice online, so if um, if anybody wants to find out more about that, it's yeah, jfl.com. do indeed,
1: do indeed. Loads of YouTube videos as well. We do a weekly live stream as well, so you can find all the links on jfl. dot com if you'd like any support.
5: Thank you very much, Dr. John Francis Leader. Very interesting conversation because, yeah, this sort of mental health as a buzzword really annoys me um, because obviously it's the, like so crucial and we pay a lot of lip service to it but um, in terms of actually funding it and treating it as seriously as other uh, medical needs I just don't think the... the I don't know if the will is there. Um, texter, oh, the, co- the Cove Roundabout has, has gotten some traction this morning. A text from WhatsApp says, I love the mural in Cargillow and the birds are stunning by Cuskinny." That's my vote. Um, yeah, I love the birds as well. The mural, I'm less attached to, but I think it'll grow on me. Uh, I live in Cove, Deirdre, says another texter, and I pass that roundabout most days on my way swimming to Cuskinny. You should come. It's gorgeous. We are also lucky to have lovely Glenmore Strand and White Point. Anyway, I think the birds on the Roundabout are lovely, very arty and definitely in vogue with the nearby wildlife reserve at Cuskinny, yeah I just think they're really classy I think they look great um, the it's um, swimming to Cuskinny. yeah I'd love to I'm just not very brave uh, the stones kind of put me off as well I know I'm total chicken uh, I was down at Fountain's Town the other day by the way and there was loads of jellyfish loads and loads and loads of them clear ones and what I didn't know is that you can pick up the clear jellyfish there was uh, teenage girls going around picking them up and having a great time showing them to all the small kids and um, but I never saw anybody pick them up before. They feel kind of weird. It's my first time touching one uh, in a total non-secretary. But there you go. So watch out for jellyfish but the, the clear ones are fine. Um, the uh, the birds in the Roundabout and Cove. Yeah, two, three, me and two textures think they're lovely. One texter thinks they're awful. Um, but I really like them. Uh, Sheila says, in relation to the disability services, hi, Deirdre, I just want to say my heart goes out to Deirdre talking about the lack of support for families of children and adults with special needs. How is society and government the most vulnerable members of society is the most vital aspect of how a government success should be judged, Sheila. That's absolutely true, Sheila and what always strikes me is that we talk about these things and we, you know, people are very moved always by these interviews and then nothing changes Or and I know change comes slowly and um it does take time, but, you know, this is backwards. Like, that's the bit of it. And obviously, in COVID, we don't want to be endangering healthcare workers or social workers or social care workers or teachers. But um, I suppose, again, to, talking to John Francis there about risk and weighing up risk and, and, you know, everyone having to kind of personally decide what element of risk they're comfortable with, Um the I would imagine a lot of the people who work with people with disabilities like most people in those jobs are doing them because they love them and because they're really passionate about them um, they're certainly not doing them to get rich Um and I would imagine a lot of those people would prefer to be providing a full service. Um, but I wonder how much say they have over it. Mag says, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Over the last few months, there have been times I felt like I was running on empty with the kids. But listening to that man, I really have no reason to complain. I can't begin to imagine walking in his shoes for even a day. Well, this is it, Mags. I mean, any of us who have been at home 24-7 with kids um, over the last while, and like I haven't, my husband has been at home with my kids and he's been way more patient than I would be, put it like that. He's really, like, excellent with them and... Um it just has a level of patience that I just do not have in me. Uh, but I think you have to have that and you have to have um, an ability to just sort of get on with it. But with somebody in Jerry's in situation where he says basically they have a 15 stone baby well, you know he's talking about changing nappies and, and feeding and loud television noises. I mean these are all the things you have with a baby or a toddler where they want to watch the same episode of Paw Patrol over and over again for six months um, on the loudest volume setting. That is that's kind of mental torture after a while um, and Jerry's describing a situation where his 27 year old has been watching the same television programme at full volume for years. That is extremely difficult to take and he's still going to load every day at least so they do get a break but then he's not getting what he needs from it so Jerry and his wife are getting a little break but the, the son, Ian um, isn't getting the services that he needs and he's actually gone backwards and that is so sad when they've put so much work into making sure he has some quality of life and to making sure that he is the best he can be and to see that going backwards must just be so so difficult Um something a little bit lighter next Uh, you might remember Anne Divine a character dreamt up by Colm O'Regan who also brought you the Irish Mammy's the Irish Mammy's memes I think really Uh, he had tea towels and everything for sale there at one stage Um, I'm not sure are they still available it might be time for me to purchase some Um, he has a new Anne Divine novel um, Handle with Care which has uh, just been published and I haven't read all of it Uh, I just got started on it Um, but it's most entertaining so I'll be talking to Colm about that shortly stay tuned for that Colm O'Regan for a man in what what I'm guessing your early 40s you have an uncanny
16: way of getting into the head of a middle aged woman Thanks very much. I'll take that as a compliment, Uh, not perhaps. It's not a diagnosis. Disturbing.
5: (laughs) Yeah,
16: Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for my referral. Good, good. Well, look,
5: you do a wonderful job of being and divine. Um, So Anne is sort of. We'll bring people back because I know I spoke to you the last time that that on the first book was out. it's for fans of the Ashling books, um I hope you won't mind this comparison, That's but for a fan fine. of the Ashling books, Anne is a bit like what Ashling will be when she's grown up if she had never left um Ballygo backwards, which in uh, Anne and Divine's World is Kilsudgeon, which sounds like Kill a Sudgen. lovely place altogether.
16: Yeah, Kilsudgeon, a small village, uh I describe it as a village recover a village or a small town recovering from a bypass uh somewhere in county county anywhere in Ireland and and Devine, yeah, she's in her late 50s, early 60s, I'm not being too specific mm. and she is, I suppose people would describe it as the sandwich generation, you know she's um, a mother and a grandmother but also a daughter yeah. so you know those people who end up minding Everyone. sometimes four generations and as well as that then she's a carer so she looks after elderly people I in mean, the local area. When and you put her a, like that, a, they're the heroes. Yeah,
13: yeah. She's
5: she's really she's she's actually the type of person we talk to a lot on this show. Um, yeah. She's she's everyone knows her. Everyone, a lot of people listen to us are her. Um, yeah. She's not your typical heroine, is she?
16: No, and I, I I often I'm always fascinated by people who are always a constant in everyone else's life, and you know you always wonder well, what are your adventures. You know what kind of. Mad stuff? Do you get up to, or what? What is it that you? What are your blind spots? What are you good at? But also, where do you get caught out? And mm. so, it's because sometimes heroines and adventurers they fall into particular brackets, and in all of those adventure stories, there's an Anne Divine sitting there going, "Oh,
12: Sir do, Sir, what's happening?"
16: You know, <laughs> like whereas, you no, know, what happens when Anne gets into a spot of bother? And uh, the last time round, she somehow managed to uh, cause awful. Uh, hassle to a, a, a TV production that was happening in the area uh, through doing the right thing. And this time around, she is trying to save the local post office. So it's those, she's the glue that, that you know, is in so many communities. And uh, I just am all fascinated. And also, people of that generation, now everybody thinks they're the most fascinating generation in the world, but mm. I think people, late 50s, early 60s, they, they know so much Ireland. They're, they're, they're right up to speed. With uh, Fortnite, the, the game and tablets, the computers, but they also know that you need that their mother needs to get her prescription for tablets renewed once a fortnight. You know that kind of. <laughs> they know, like, so they they have access to so much Ireland, yeah. and uh, I'm all as all fascinated by them.
5: Yeah, well, and what strikes me, it's really, it was actually really, um, I, when I was reading it, I was really struck by how foreign. Um, the the background of the book appears now even from it's kind of set in what 2018? 2018, um, yeah yeah with the pope's visit and the repeal referendum and all of that going on and I have to say say in this sort of post covid landscape that we're in it feels like another world
16: it does I didn't it's, I didn't intend to write a nostalgic book two years yeah for, <laughs> set two years ago and and like I'm sure reading it now like because there are people going to meetings. I was <laughs> yeah. like what's that remember that? Remember when you'd go to a meeting remember when somebody'd say right we're meeting in the hall tonight and just turn up whereas now it's look we'll, we'll do Zoom so sure, I did my own book launch on Zoom um, and it, one person for household and one in one out and all sorts so I think, I think hopefully this will be a book that takes people back to what a summer is like where all you have to worry about is the economic decline of the village, <laughs> or getting to see the Pope, or the aftermath of one of the most divisive referendums we've had? Uh, I thought twenty eighteen was a big summer. I, I thought it was a watershed, yeah. and that's why I wrote about it. And uh, and now it seems like it's it's, uh, it's it was merely teeing us up for this summer
5: Well to be honest I'm actually looking forward to the next one because I think Anne Divine during Covid is going to be an absolute howl um, I, I, I actually <laughs> I was trying to think as yeah. I was thinking well, God I, she's a cute. I'm, I'm thinking of
16: her as a, I'm thinking of things that I've I already just wrote a little thing for the Dubré book, book website where Anne is um, she is getting her mother uh, able to watch mass being streamed for her father's anniversary yeah. and and it's a curious It's a curious experience because you're watching, you're watching strangers at mass, much the same as you would watch people. Who who are they now? Who's liking that? Who's that? You know, and and, and on Facebook you can click on them, and, and and when people go back to when people go back to mass, you know, in the future. Be going, I wish
5: I could click on that person to, to find who they out are, I don't recognise them. Yeah, oh, that's actually so true. Because I, I very, don't go to mass that often, but I, I used to go, um, you know, at Christmas or whatever, and you'd see everyone yeah. who has moved away from the village, um, yeah. that you remember from school, and they're there with their partners or maybe with their kids. Yeah. You're like, Who's he now? I don't remember him. Yeah, but she was coming, kind of coming, down,
16: coming down from Dublin in yeah. their spanky coat, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
5: <laughs> their new coat, with their good yeah. Christmas coat, yeah. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's actually weird the way it's so nostalgic already, um, and yeah. I think it'll be, I actually think that part. That's part of what will make it a really lovely read for people because it's so yeah. normal. Um, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of it's like a blanket. Um, is Kilsodgin Dripsy? By the way, I have to be ask this because the people of Dripsy could be fierce upset with you altogether.
16: Oh no, no, no! Kilsodgin is Dripsy is is a different, uh, a completely different place. Kilsodgin's a bit more down on its down in its luck mm. and maybe not as united as like Dripsy is a great kind of community. Vibe, because Dripsy at the Woolen Mills thirty years ago, nearly forty years ago, when it closed down, and yeah. it kind of picked itself up. Yes, you know the mm. garden centre and the soccer club and the GA team and the the tidy towns in Dripsy. So, uh, in the uh of the first book, I I acknowledge the Dripsy tidy towns, but made it quite clear <laughs> that in no way it was such tidy <laughs> towns based on Dripsy to tidy to the Towns. Shop? It's like well, it's basically imagine a tidy Towns if everything goes wrong. Whereas in Dripsy, in fact, they uh, they made, they've made a great job of it. I often, um, if you look on Google Street View, it goes back to 2009 in parts of Dripsy, yeah, and you can tell the difference between then and now. And I, I think that's that's the tidy towns doing now all that's yeah. being improved there, yeah. Yeah,
5: it's no, it's it's a lovely read. Um, it's available, I assume, in all
16: good bookshops. <laughs> All good bookshops and, and online as well too, and if if we get locked down, be sure and get your credit cards to get, it on, to get it online i mean it's an, it's interesting times you know people uh shopping but i'm hoping because i can't see i can't get to perform in front of people you know at book mm-hmm. festivals or in comedy clubs and sign books so I'm hoping that this is my i'm giving uh this is my way of making people laugh remotely yeah. <laughs> so i'm missing I'm missing the live stuff so Hopefully, this will give you uh, a giggle. I um, know yeah, I think as will. we kind it's... of navigate the uncertainty over the next few weeks.
5: Absolutely, Colum O'Regan, author of. Um the new Anne Divine book thank you very much for that it's a lovely read so I'm just looking thank for you. the the full name Anne Divine Handle with care um, thanks a million column and I really do recommend it it's very funny I'm looking forward to getting stuck back into it tonight um, the sun my favourite thread in it actually is the sun is involved with the local politician and um, obviously I know a lot of local politicians and uh, it's pretty accurate I think um, I need to talk very quickly to Amy Boyhan Amy we had you on the show last week about your fundraiser what's happening? We
7: have reached our target, Deja. Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> Ellie's dream to dance. Ellie is off to America. I know, Ellie's dream is coming true, and it's our dream for her. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're now able to, to get the ball running, um, book flights, get our accommodation order, pay the hospital in advance. Yeah, I mean, talk oh. about a dream come true.
5: Wow, so you have an awful lot of work to do now. When do you think she'll get to go?
7: Well, we have a date, um, so we have to be in the States for the 21st of September, so we'll we'll head a day before that. Um, and yeah, so the, the countdown's on. Her passport arrived finally this, this Monday. We had a bit of issues with getting a, a suitable photograph, um, but yeah, finally that, that happened thanks to to Walsh's Pharmacy in Carrigline they were just brilliant you know when you have a child with special needs it it can be very hard to capture uh, a photograph that will tick the boxes but they were wonderful so they helped us out and our passport arrived now this week so yeah we've hit the ground running we have to try and get visas now into the States it's a big thing But, um, look, we've got fantastic politicians on our door. You've done a heat era there a while ago. He's such an advocate yeah. for children with needs anyway. And then we've got Michael McGrath and Simon Coveney. So, I mean, we've got three great men there now to help us get visas. Yeah, you pretty state. much
5: hit the jackpot in terms of what constituency you're in anyway. I know.
7: <laughs> well, we, we absolutely did when it came to fundraising too. So, I mean, yeah. I'm very proud to be from Carigline. Yeah.
5: God, well, fantastic. Well done to the people of Carrigline for supporting Ian, for supporting Ellie. 102,326 euros raised when you were looking for 100,000. So, yes. Amy, best of luck to you thank and to you. Ellie and hopefully we'll catch up with you um, maybe again before you go and uh, we'll be thinking of all of you and hopefully it all gets sorted. Brilliant. And
7: just a big thank you to everyone everyone in Cork who just rallied around us and helped us. We will be forever grateful. Thank Fantastic. you so much.
5: Brilliant, Ellie's Dream to Dance is coming true. That is just wonderful, wonderful news. Um, and John has called about tourists. We'll talk to John in just a moment.
4: This is courts Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
5: us now,
7: 1850
4: 715 996,
7: on Quartz 96FM. No
5: apologies for the delay, John. John, you contacted us about the tourists coming into the country.
17: Good morning, Deirdre, Yes, that's correct. I just wanted to make a comment that I just felt that um, you know the way that um I know you've spoken about it, um, over the last week or so, about the amount of tourists that are coming in from the UK and from America. And you know, I'm just I just feel that, that the you know the doctors on the front line and the nurses have made so much sacrifices over the last few months. Mm. And that the way that these um people have been left in these countries, um, you know, highly infected countries, it's showing complete disregard for them and I feel that they should be protesting. Um, that they've been, you know, quiet through all the rest of this, and because it's going, there's no doubt that the cases are going to go back up again, and it's going to further put their lives at risk if they have to deal with more people coming, you know, coming at them in the front line. I just, I just can't understand why the nurses and doctors aren't protesting and having a because what the government has done, we really I feel, you know, is is, is completely wrong, and we're. It's going to put us back to
5: square one, you know? Yeah. How do you feel about the the argument, I suppose, that the government are making, that it's it's very difficult for us to close our borders um, being uh, not only, I suppose, a member of the EU, but additionally um, not being part of Schengen and having to have that open border with the UK?
17: Well, uh, th- th- do we really, they keeps going back to the legal side of it legally, we do. I haven't heard of any legal experts saying that, you know, do all those rules go out the door when we have a pandemic and does, should that be the most important thing? Uh, obviously we would love to welcome these people and you know, any other time, but I, what's going on is just, you know, completely un- unprecedented. So, um, you know, we, 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 um, I think we should do everything we can to try and, you know, stop people from coming in. And you know, just to try get through this, you know.
5: Yeah, and how, where I don't know where you are, John, but yeah. are you in an area that is is seeing tourists?
17: No, I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm in the city, but like the thing is, I'm, I'm aware of it. I've, I've, yeah. I've been reading about it. I've seen it all over the over the last few I just I just can't believe that we've gone, you know, from you know, and then allowing people to come in, you know, for business purposes, essential business. Um, you know what? I, I'd be interesting to see. You know, if you if you looked at the flight, how many of them were there? Because they really need to be, or yeah. it's that important? You know, yeah. uh, I just you know, I just think we've lost our way, um, and that that um, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just surprised that that that, that there isn't more of an outcry from the the nurses and doctors because there's no doubt the way that they're leaving people in, we're going to go, we're going to definitely go backwards.
5: Yeah, I, I actually, I saw the, the new figures. Thank you, John. The um, the figures from Neffet the other day, the analysis of where the new cases are arising from, very few of them are arising from foreign travel. Um, so that's probably something reassuring maybe, um, that most of them were coming from house parties or from workplaces. Um, so there's definitely... But there is cause for concern. Like, I've seen a lot of English regs around, um, and I know there's some people with English cars and all of that, but there's more. Like, there's definitely more. I, I saw... I, a group in West Clair when I was there I've seen them in Cove I've seen them there, there was an English car actually parked beside me this morning when I came into park for work and it was obviously somebody on holidays um, you could see by the, some of the stuff that was on and in the car um, so there's definitely that is happening but I don't know does everyone have a problem with it? Oh three, three, I now I have um, two calls there. Oh, very briefly there's a new app out to report wildlife crime um, and uh, one of the creators of that app is on the line now. Hi Paul. Hi, how are you? I'm not too bad Paul. Tell me, what is wildlife crime exactly? So
18: uh, wildlife crime is any act that contravenes the current legislation governing governing the protection of wild animals and plants. The most obvious example would be the um, killing of 23 buzzards in Cork there um, last December that was Mm. eventually reported in May Um, so yeah that would be uh, an example of it
5: Okay, so I guess poisoning any any wild animals or, or killing them or would hedge cutting come under it?
18: Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's all related to existing, um, you know, uh, legislation that is there to protect um, nature, uh, and it's there for a reason because you know hedge cutting uh, during breeding season is not going to have a a positive impact on breeding birds and hedges, which is the majority of our farmland birds. So um, yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it's a wide ranging sort of uh, issue you know you have um, then cases of like um, you know killing uh, deer outside of uh, hunting season uh, and then uh, illegal hair uh, hair coursing um, things like that would also come under it
5: Okay so what's the name of the app?
18: The uh, app is the um, Wildlife Crime app. It's, uh, we're currently looking for uh, funds through a GoFundMe um, initiative on the wildlifecrime.ie website. Um, and uh, it will be a method of basically recording possible crimes to quicken the pace of uh, recording uh, or highlighting wildlife crime in Ireland.
5: Brilliant. So wildlifecrime.ie if people want to find out more. That's correct, yes. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. That's. I'm delighted to hear that because we actually got loads of complaints um, during the lockdown about hedge cutting. People got really, really upset about it. And when we went to follow it up, it was really unclear about where you reported to or who you reported and whose who's problem it is, basically, if, if you see this happening. So I'm glad to hear that. wildlifecrime.ie.
4: This is Courts Gold Imro Award Winning Talk Show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
7: Text or WhatsApp now: 0833-969696.
4: on Courts ninety six FM.
5: On the coronaphobia a texter says on the anxiety thing I served a lady yesterday and it was her first time shopping since March she was so nervous of the ways you now can't walk around Wilton Shopping Centre and people need to be aware of this kind of fear where a kind word makes a difference and sometimes reassures a person feeling anxious yeah I think there's an awful lot of that about and we're probably not all conscious of it um, so kind of t- just to hold back and don't um, don't react immediately to, to what you might be seeing around you you might be misinterpreting what people are doing um, today's show edited Produced by Fergal Barry with research by Katie O'Keefe. I'll be back tomorrow.
13: Botox Cosmetic, botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.